This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Do you know why live radio is so great? Do you know why this is a medium unlike any other? Because if I say something stupid or a caller says something stupid or if a guest that I'm interviewing live here on the radio says something stupid, do you know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear something stupid. Same thing, and I don't mean the Nancy Sinatra song, and same thing if they say something intelligent or something funny. This is live and it is radio at its finest and it is un predictable, which is what makes this format so compelling. That stands in stark contrast to what you hear in the world of podcasting, um, where I know a lot of podcasters, and you know what they do when they screw up? They edit out what they screwed up. And uh, if they have a guest that says something dumb, sometimes they'll edit out what that person says. And in fact, I know a podcaster recently, they were interviewing someone, and that Someone, very high profile media person, made a comment that they didn't, they thought better of. And they said, hey, would you please do us a favor and delete it? They deleted it. You will not hear that on this program. Streaming platforms. There's so much to be said of the 9,000 different streaming platforms. A lot of them offer great content. I'm a big fan of Ted Lasso, which is on Apple TV. Big fan of Only Murders in the Building, which is on Hulu. And uh, obviously, it seems like all these networks, all these streaming networks, have at least one program that you've really got to watch. Well, since retiring from network television, David Letterman, or we have to be PC now, and I think we have to call him David Letterhuman, David Letterhuman has um, been doing this show on Netflix. Basically, the show is just him interviewing people. The the, uh, show is called My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. And it's just him sitting there. It's really interesting if you're interested in the person being interviewed. And I've watched a number of these shows. And um, if it's someone that I'm really interested in, uh, Tina Fey, for instance, or Howard Stern, or uh, a bunch of other folks, uh, Obama, you know, if it's somebody that's interesting, you enjoy the interview. At least I enjoy the interview. If it's someone that I'm not so interested in, then I don't enjoy the interview. So it's really hit and miss. You have to kind of enjoy, or at least enjoy is the wrong word, be interested in the person being interviewed. Well, in May of 2019, on the second season of David Letterhuman's show, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction, the rapper formerly known as Kanye West, these days known only as Ye, was on this show, and they talked about a wide variety of issues, including mental health. Define it uh, for me. What is the mechanism that is malfunctioning or is taking a break in your brain? Do you know? I wouldn't be able to explain that as much, just, you know, because I'm not a doctor. I can just tell you what I'm feeling at the time. And I feel a heightened connection with the universe when I'm ramping up. It is a health issue. This is like a sprained brain, like having a sprained ankle. And if someone has a sprained ankle, you're not going to push on him more. Right. With us, 
once our brain gets to a point of spraining, people do everything to make it worse. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to critique Ye's comments about mental health. I think mental health is important, and there's not enough attention paid to the issue of mental illness and mental health. That being said, that interview from three years ago has now become quite controversial because evidently Ye, in that interview, reportedly spewed all sorts of controversial rhetoric, rhetoric that's being described as alt-right, rhetoric that's being described as um, anti-Semitic. And he, uh, it was shot in January of 2019 in Los Angeles. And several of the audience members that were there, they told the publication The Wrap, the version of the interview that appeared on Netflix left out some key moments, including, yay, victim-blaming Rihanna for being a survivor of domestic violence and saying Trump supporters were treated like Nazis. Ye also reportedly said he feared becoming Me Too'd like an unidentified friend in the music industry. Noah Reich, who was an audience member at the taping, told the rap that Ye spoke about a powerful group within Hollywood that brought the Me Too movement into being. And the, this person said he believed that Ye was referring to Jewish people. At certain points, Reich said he and other audience members shouted at West and questioned his remarks. When Ye claimed that Trump followers are treated like Nazis, Reich said he responded aloud with, because they are Nazis, before receiving applause. Now, by the way, I think that is a, a, an atrocious way of talking about your political uh, opponents. You don't like Donald Trump. You don't like Joe Biden. You don't like supporters of Donald Trump. They're not Nazis. They're people that you disagree with. We'll, we'll come back to the level of polarization in our country next hour. But yay and letter human continued the interview without acknowledging the audience's remarks. So keep in mind, this is an account from an audience member that clearly is not a Trump supporter and certainly not a Kanye West supporter. So take it for what it is. But what this person told the rap was it was shocking to see that Kanye West could share harmful alt-right beliefs conspiracy theory after conspiracy and misogynistic beliefs about women for the majority of the interview and end up with an edit that removed all those items in flavor in favor of celebrity fluff content. Another audience member identified as Larry F told the rap that he's not sure what legalities they're dealing with, but he didn't find the Netflix episode to be an honest assessment of what went on that night. Now, it's also been reported that uh, apparently Kanye West has a long history in private uh, or in, in boardrooms and in the business community of praising Hitler. Hitler. And a lot of the people that he said this to have been asked, and I'm sure they were paid, to sign NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, to shield this stuff. So the thing that's interesting to me about this is we're just hearing about this now. At least I'm just hearing about it now. My, this guy, these people in the audience might have told other people. I haven't heard anything about this until now. But what's also interesting to me about this is it looks to me, if this is true, that Kanye West said a whole bunch of things that could have been very damaging to him. 
and his reputation and might have seen him be canceled three years ago in the manner in which he's being canceled now by Adidas and other brands. But what's interesting to me is that it appears Tucker Carlson on the Fox News channel, who I happen to be a fan of, but it looks like Tucker Carlson's show, I don't know how much Tucker himself was involved with this, but it looks like Tucker's show did the same thing. It looks like Kanye was including some anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic tropes in his interview with Tucker Carlson, and yet somehow that ended up on the cutting room floor. So David Letterman and Tucker Carlson, I don't think you could pick two people that have more different shows, different political views, uh, different ways of conducting an interview, different audiences that they're trying to reach, but they had two things in common. One, they both interviewed Kanye West, not in a live interview, but in a pre-recorded format. And two, they both edited out, or I don't want to say them because it could have been their producers or whomever, but their shows both edited out the comments that Kanye West said, or Ye said, which were so damaging. And my question for you is why? 800-848-9222. And um, I'm wondering if it's one of three factors. Okay, the first one that's easiest to explain is, look, Kanye West is a big star and with with a big audience with a huge following. So if you're David Letterman or Chris Cuomo or Tucker Carlson, because he was on Chris Cuomo's show recently, I think that was one of the rare shows that he didn't say anything against the Jews. But if you're somebody who wants an audience, it pays to have someone like Kanye West who has... Whatever, I'm, I'm making up a number here, but in the neighborhood of 60, 70 million followers on social media as a guest because you want those followers tuning into your show. You want the clicks. You want the views. You want the listens. So I think part of it might be just celebrity protecting celebrity or a desire to keep this Kanye West opportunity open, meaning that you want him on repeatedly. I think that's part of it. The other thing is I do wonder if there's a um, desire to protect people who are super wealthy. Ye is a self-made billionaire. At least he was prior to this Adidas deal. He probably still is. He's certainly not clipping coupons. I'll assure you of that. He was worth over a billion dollars. Is there a desire to protect people who are super wealthy? Um. By the way, that hopefully will soon include me because I will be purchasing a Powerball ticket today. This is going to be the largest jackpot in history, $1.9 billion. Unfortunately, I did not win the $1.6 million. I'm guessing you didn't either. Um, two things that I do want to mention very quickly on that. One, just keep in mind that if you buy a ticket, chances are you're not going to win because your chances of winning are 1 in 292 million. Now, that is... What? Those are not good chances. You To put that in perspective, not only do you have a better chance of being struck by lightning, which everybody always says, you actually have a better chance, I'm not joking here, of being killed by a vending machine than you do of winning the Powerball. So you know what I'm actually going to do? I'm going to buy a ticket tomorrow or today. I'm going to buy a ticket today, 
And I did this for the last lottery. I'm going to share the numbers to this one ticket that I buy. And if I win the jackpot on that number, I'm going to tweet this. I'm going to tweet the numbers at Frank Morano, Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. And anybody that retweets that tweet, and if I win, I will share equally my share of the lottery winnings with you. Now, I'm not going to say I'm not going to also buy another ticket for myself. But that one, you're in. So just be, t- I'll probably do that this afternoon at Frank Moreno. That's Frank M O R A N O. But here is the more insidious possibility. And it's by far the most controversial. Debbie Schlussel was on this program uh, on Friday. Debbie Schlussel is Jewish, she's conservative, she's an attorney. And she said something that I thought was, uh, was very jarring. And. I challenged her a little bit on it, but it was interesting because talking with some of my colleagues here at the radio station off there, a lot of people came up to me and said the same thing independently of her or people had heard the interview and said, you know, she was actually right. This is what Debbie Schlussel, and I don't want to add fuel to the fire here by pitting one community against another, but this is what Debbie Schlussel said on Friday. We're going to take you back in time. Because you know I'm quite fond of time travel. We're going to take you back in time to Friday morning. Well, first of all, you don't have to be on the lookout for anti-Semitism because there's plenty of it. And it's it's right in my face. It's in your face. Um, And I think it's interesting because Roseanne, remember when Roseanne tweeted out something that uh, was considered racial? About Valerie Jarrett, the uh, Barack Obama advisor, she was done. Her show was going to be canceled or she was going to have to sell her interest in it, which she ended up doing. Um, Many channels and networks stopped carrying reruns of the show because they didn't want her to make any money. Some of them are now playing them again. She was branded a racist for life. Um, And she cannot get arrested by network television. She's fired completely. Um, But when you are black, you can get away with a lot of things for a while. I mean, she, listen, she was fired immediately. I think it was within that day after she did this in the middle of the night, she was gone from ABC and so on. Um, Kyrie Irving has had uh, several days to uh, continue with this, I'm not promoting it. When you put something out, I mean, that whole exchange with, I think his name is Fridell, the reporter, that whole exchange with him uh, about he's not promoting it, he absolutely was promoting it. I mean, this whole that whole linguistics uh, thing was a, a distinction without a difference. When you put stuff out there as, hey, you should watch this documentary about the Jews and how they control the world, um, and how they're responsible for slavery, which we aren't, by the way. <laughs> a false nation of Islam, uh, baloney. When you put that out there, you are saying this is valid. I am promoting it. That's what he did. I don't. I don't need the five hundred thousand to the ADL, which is, by the way, now they're finally against anti-Semitism. They haven't been for many years. I'm glad they're finally doing something now, but, you know, I don't think that money is changes anything. This is what he believes in. This is what he supports. I don't need his apology. 
he should be banned from the NBA and his whole career should be over. Because if Roseanne, if they can happen to Roseanne and her apologies, which she made many, um, and they weren't qualified, like his, his so-called apology is very much qualified. He was interviewed uh, and he, he said, I, I can't be anti-Semitic because I know where I come from. That sounds to me like the black Hebrew claim that, oh, blacks are the real Jews and the Jews aren't the Jews. Like Kanye West has been saying, you know, it's always been kosher to be anti-Semitic. Um, it's just that if you verbalized it, you were uh, sent to the fringe and that was it. Now it's mainstream and none of these people are really getting punished. So he, you know, his career is going to continue. He's suspended for five games. He will not feel it. He's a multi, multi, multi millionaire. It's not a big deal for him. And he's never really going to apologize. And frankly, I don't need his apology. He doesn't mean it. Um, and like I said, he should have the same punishment that Roseanne has, but Roseanne was white and, uh, you are not allowed to say those things about blacks, but you are allowed to say them about Jews and not much will happen. So essentially what Debbie said there, and not only in that clip, but I think a little later as well, is she said that if you're black and you make an anti-Semitic remark, there is a lot more latitude that's given to you. Now, what the one thing she did say, which was accurate, is that a lot of the things that Kanye West have been saying and the film that uh, Kyrie Irving was promoting, it really is straight out of the ideology of the black Hebrew Israelites. You know, you probably have seen the black Israel, uh, the Hebrew Israelites, if you've ever walked around Times Square, they'll rant to anybody that will care to hear them. And it is pretty, it's not only, it's revisionist history, it's a little bit of Holocaust denialism, and it's straight up anti-Semitism. But I'm wondering, does what David Letterman did and what Tucker Carlson did, does that have anything to do with the fact that Kanye West, yay, is black? If... Ye was, and I'm not trying to be provocative, I'm really not. I'm I'm trying to explore an honest question. Because as I pointed out to Debbie, there are plenty of whites that have been tagged with that anti-Semitic label as well, and their careers suffered from it. But um, if Ye had been white, do you think the producers of the Tucker Carlson program and of the David Letterman program would have edited out the most controversial aspects of that interview? What do you think? Was he protect? Now, sometimes if you interview someone for three hours and you can only make that into a one hour program, as is the case with the uh, David Letterman show, sometimes you just stuff happens to be cut. But it's a little coincidental to me that both of these shows with very different audiences, very different styles, they both happen to cut out the most controversial aspect of this. Now, the question is why? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Did Tucker do it because he likes Kanye's politics? The speculation, um, not speculation, it was reported that Tucker Carlson actually voted for Kanye West for president. Did David Letterman do it because he didn't want to be controversial? Well, he doesn't seem to mind being controversial on other things. And uh, does Debbie have a point here that... 
maybe this was due to their race, the race of Kanye West and Kyrie Irving. Now, both of these people, there does seem to be a reckoning now, is you do see brands rushing to cancel them. Is that appropriate? It was interesting when I had Elliot Resnick here, who's an observant Jew podcaster the other day, he basically said no. He's against cancel culture. And look, Elliot Resnick wore a yarmulke when he came in here. He clearly is very adamant about a lot of Jewish causes. He said, I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially said that um, Ye shouldn't be canceled. So 800-848-9222, why do you think these programs edited out Kanye West's anti-Semitic remarks? 800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-9222. Let me begin with uh, David in the Bronx. Hello, David. Hey, good morning, Frank. Morning. First of all, Debbie Schlussel is the last person that should be calling anybody a racist, okay? I urge anyone who doesn't believe me to Google her name and the word racism, and there'll be many hits, okay? She constantly bashes any movie that has a pro-black sentiment to it, and, you know, she has a long history of this. But as far as Kanye goes, it has to do with his fame. Blackness has nothing to do with it. Tucker Carlson, if it was Tulsi Gabbard or anybody else that he agrees with who said something like this, it also would have ended up on the cutting room floor. And she also said something about Roseanne. She said Roseanne owned up to her comments about Valerie Jarrett comparing her to an ape. She did not. She claimed that she was under the influence of Ambien when she tweeted that garbage out. So don't give me this nonsense about Roseanne being some kind of victim, okay? And I'm sorry, I don't mean to to go off, but this is very upsetting because it upsets me when people cover themselves and and then accuse other people of being guilty of the same thing that they've been doing for years. So, David, putting aside aside Debbie, and we could do a whole separate show on Debbie. In fact, we should do that one day because that would be an interesting show. But – your view as to why Tucker uh, cut, uh, you know, cut those offensive comments that Kanye made out are one are one partly due to politics and two due to Kanye's fame. Obviously, I don't think Letterman shares Kanye's uh, politics, but do you think Letterman's show also made those edits because of Kanye's fame or was it simply due to time constrictions? What's your gut? I think it has to do with, with the fame factor. And also, let's be honest, this is why when you listen to morning shows on Sundays, you usually hear a lot of softball questions. If they, let, uh, if they had put that out, would Letterman be able to get other people on his show? Well, would Carlson be able to get other people on his show? That's one of the motivations for this type of thing. Well, so it, that's it, interesting, it, right? So um, that is so interesting what you say. You, your view is that both of these guys, in addition to the fame factor and in the case of Tucker, the political symbiosis, that um, if these guys, if Kanye had been embarrassed – by being on those shows, then the next five-star celebrity, which Kanye is, uh, would not come on with either Tucker or David Letterman. That's a very that, likely motivation. That's interesting, for David. Sure. That's very interesting. So David says it's not about race. It's not about money. It's about politics, and it's about fame, which I think is interesting. 800-848-9222. So is it money? Is it politics? 
Is it fame? Is it race? Why did these two separate shows go out of their way, as far as I can tell, to protect Kanye West from himself? 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. uh, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. We go together. Better than birds of a feather, you and me. We change the weather. Yeah. I'm feeling heat in December when you found me. I've been dancing on top of cars and stumbling out of bars. I follow you through the dark, can't get enough. You're the medicine and the pain, the tattoo inside my brain. And maybe you know it's obvious. I'm a sucker for you. This is Sucker by the Jonas Brothers. Uh, Kevin Jonas uh, had a birthday on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. So we're we're all still celebrating it. People like Kevin jo- Jonas, Martin Luther King Jr., Christopher Columbus, Lincoln, they celebrate their birthdays the Monday after the weekend. That's the way they do it. 800-848-9222. Um, talking about the, I think, pretty interesting story that a whole bunch of people that were in the audience for uh, the Kanye West interview by David Letterman, they said he was going on repeating all sorts of uh, anti-Jewish tropes, blaming them for the Me Too scandal, uh, comparing Trump supporters, saying Trump supporters were being treated like Nazis, and all that got edited out. Tucker Carlson, same situation. A lot of uh, anti-Jewish tropes that were repeated in that interview, that happened to be cut out. So my question for you is why? Was it simply due to time? Was it due to politics? Is it due to money? Is it due to celebrity? Is it due to uh, race? Or is it something else? 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Phones are jammed here. I'm going to try and get to as many of these as we can. I'm not going to make the whole show about Kanye West because there are more important things. But I do think this is important because, you know, one of the things that I, I think we see with that uh, threat that was made to those New Jersey synagogues is that um, anti-Semitism is not something that's theoretical, right? I mean, we're living in a community where you have this knockout game going on, where total strangers are running up to people that they believe to be Jewish and trying to knock them out. Um, And so... This anti-Semitism is very real. So why would media outlets try to protect guests from being tagged with that label of anti-Semite? 800-848-9222. We'll get to as many of you as we can here. Let me say hello to uh, Al in Yonkers. Hello there, Al. Good morning to you, Frank. Morning. uh, Thanks for taking my call. Sure. You know, as you pointed out, uh, uh, anti-Semitism throughout the world and in America is on the rise. And like you said, we have to take this uh, seriously. Uh, In the sports world, we uh, see what happened with Kyle Irving. I don't know too much about it, but I've you know heard about it on the radio from uh, from the different uh, broadcasts. But my thing with 
uh, Kanye West. I don't know much about him, just that he, you know, was married to uh, somebody who's probably the most famous person in the uh, talent circles in America today, uh, Kim Kardashian, which you know. Uh, but I think people throw him a I'm not throwing him a lifeline, but I think a lot of people overlook what he's done, uh, who know him, uh, powerful people, uh, people like Tucker Carlson and all, uh, because I personally think, as you know, uh, recently in uh, the psychiatric uh, profession, uh, prolong- prolonged grief today is considered now a mental illness. So I think when his mom died about 10 years ago or so, uh, it really hit him hard. And I don't know if he's ever truly yet recovered. So I think that could uh, all be part of it. Well, okay. Okay. I, uh, that's uh, You're welcome to add that. I, I could see that, Al. Makes sense. Um, you know, I got an email here from a, a woman who says that Letterman and Carlson are feeling that West is mentally ill and ranting and the stuff that he says doesn't merit broadcasting. So, um, okay, maybe maybe mental illness is also a factor, and that's one that I hadn't considered. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Dan is in Queens. Hello there, Dan. Hey, Frank, how you doing? Uh, listen, you have a huge audience, and I and I, uh, I, I just want to say I'm not anti-Semitic at all. When I was 19, I converted to Judaism and lived in Israel, and so I want to, I want to bring up a point. Every day, Orthodox Jews get up, and in their prayer book for the Shacharit, the morning service, they say a prayer thanking God for not making them a Gentile. Now, I know you have Orthodox listeners. This is 100% true, factual. I urge people to call in and, and answer why is that okay? And we always talk about anti-Semitism, but, but, but why is that okay? I mean, if non-Jews got up every day and thanked God for not making them a Jew, you'd hear no end of it, right? That would be called anti-Semitic. But why is it okay for Orthodox Jews to get up every day and thank God for not making them a Gentile? That's a, that's a fact. That's in their siddur, in their prayer book. The second point is that white people can be maligned, and anyone in the media can say bad things about white people all day, and they'll never ha- have the sort of thing happen to them that happened to, to uh, Kanye and Kyrie Irving. So I don't support people punching anyone, attacking anyone, nothing like that. Sure. But why can you not have honest discourse? That's all. That's well, all I, and that's one of the know? things I try to do on, on the show, Dan, is really have honest discourse on, uh, on everything, right, including some of these uh, difficult, uh, issues that are difficult to talk about, it, at least as much as we can do in an entertainment uh, program. But, Dan, uh, let me ask you, though, um, why do you think these shows, Tucker Carlson and David Letterman, edited out those remarks about Kanye West? What do you think the, the motivation behind the person that made that decision was? I think it's a covering for blacks, the same way that blacks get away with a lot of things. Joy, Re- so Joy you agree Reed, with Debbie essentially? You you agree with Debbie that this was a race? It was racially motivated. Uh, it, it's the it's a sort of paternalistic, like condescending attitude about black. I mean, you you mentioned the knockout game, but you didn't. You know, who who's doing that? Is it is it white people? Is it Asians? Who's doing that? No. Right. So no, you you're with Debbie then that it's a that it's an that it's a an effort 
to not hold uh, black commentators to the same standard that whites do. Okay. 800-848-9222. Michael is in New Jersey. Hello, Michael. Yeah, um, I have a totally different viewpoint of this. I don't believe Conway West is anti-Semitic. I don't believe Irving is anti-Semitic. To be honest, I don't believe that Louis Farrakhan is anti-Semitic. What I do believe is that they are anti-white. Now, why do they single out the Jews? It's very simple. They are the smallest minority among white people. They're easy to pick on. It's, how many Jewish people do you have in this right, I mean, But, I mean, in Kanye West's case, right, I mean, he was married— to uh, Kim Kardashian. I mean, do you consider Kim Kardashian white? What is she? If she's not, yeah, I'm, she's white, yeah, but here's right, what I'm so, saying. I mean, how can he be anti-white if he was married to a white woman and has children with her? Yeah, but meanwhile, they're divorced. I don't think that's Kanye West's choice, but okay, that's your opinion. All right. Uh, again, my question is more about what these media outlets did. It's not what's in Kanye West's heart or Kyrie Irving's heart because you don't know what's in it. You can't answer um, whether how someone else feels about anything, right? Um, 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Eric in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. Uh, hey, Frank. Um, if if Kanye West had been white um, with David Letterman and, and um, Tucker, they, it, w- it wouldn't have been aired at all, I think, or the interview might have been stopped, but he would have been canceled back then. It would have leaked if he was uh, white. So you agree I with mean, Debbie, a, essentially, I'm, that that it's a race she thing. She is right. I mean, this is more since 2016. You can agree or not, Frank, but it's a fact. It's about the elitist... It's an elitist game they play. They pit the peasants against each other while they get to do whatever they want. Um, you know, and as far as anti, you know, anti-Semitism, it's anti-black, anti-Hispanic, it's all the same thing. You know? All right, well, thank oh, you. Your call, your caller, wait, um, one more thing. Your call, on the earlier call, just a few, couple of calls back, I had sent you an email similar. I mean, you know... If you were just sticking on white people in general, you know, they <laughs> I won't say what I said, um, you know, it wouldn't be a problem. And, you know, if we have a com, someone we know would say their complexion is their protection. He's not saying that in a vacuum. I mean, mm-hmm. this is, again, it's more recently uh, with this latitude she's talking about, you know, so, I mean, take it for but doesn't, worth, doesn't the fact know. that, you know, Kanye West lost this Adidas deal and that Netflix and that the, the Brooklyn yeah, Nets I mean, did. Well, hang on, hang on. You know, right, right. But, but again, doesn't that belie what you're saying? Metal, they give him a medal. Right, but doesn't sorry, that belie. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I mean, you're sorry, but you keep interrupting. All right. 800 uh, Let me say hello to Ray in New Jersey. Hello, Ray. Yeah. How you doing, Frank? I love the show. Good Thank show. You. Thank you. Uh, I think Tucker edited it because. Kanye's a Trump supporter. You look at like uh, Sonny Halston calling people roaches, you know, the other day. Nothing was even said about that. She gets a pass. Kyrie, I mean, he got five game suspension. If they knew his politics, if he was a Trump supporter or either of them, they would have been gone. You know, and Kyrie, they're just giving him a five game suspension. And why isn't he getting canceled for being anti Semitic stuff? And then uh, Sonny Austin called people. Well, I mean, Nike Nike did uh, end their relationship with him. So I think you may see the beginning of a Kyrie Irving cancellation uh, in place now. Um, But um, 
so uh, that's a fair point, right? I guess, you know, 800-848-9222. By the way, this is far from the only thing Kyrie Irving's done that's controversial. Remember, he was uh, he was very sympathetic to the Flat Earth movement for a while. I think he did back away from those comments. But now now that's uh, not the case anymore. 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to Igor in Fairfield. Hello, Igor. Hey there. Greetings, Frank. Frank, when you've done an interview with a famous person, have you ever had their people come to an agreement with you as to what the range of topics might be? Yes. Um, you know, I, I, again, it's it's uh, it's pretty rare. Um, but um, but yes, it has happened. I remember when I interviewed Tom Green about two years ago, um, his his people said to me, you can ask him about anything you want. Um, except Drew Barrymore. Now, I was not planning to ask him about Drew Barrymore, so I said, sure, fine, I, I respect that. I have no problem doing that, by the way, if I know the the ground rules um, going in. You know, um, you sure, know I, sure. I, I remember when um, I was producing another radio show when Bill de Blasio was running for mayor and um, the, he had just put out a statement about how his father had died. And uh, his father was a veteran who suffered from alcoholism and, and lost a limb in the war and killed himself. And uh, they said, look, you know, uh, we put out this statement. That's all we're going to say about this subject. So I hope you guys won't ask him about it. And I told the host I was working with, and he said, no, I wasn't planning on asking him about it anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it does, it does happen, but uh, it's, I think it's the, ex- it, it's the exception rather than the norm in my case. No, sure. But, you know, when you, when you get down to it, clearly he has very smart people creating this brand of his. He's become a very wealthy man. Somebody there is saying, hey, listen, this stuff gets out. He starts going off and talking about it. We're going to start losing these contracts. All of a sudden, they get involved with the with the production people uh, with Letterman's show and say, listen, this is out of bounds. You knew we discussed this beforehand. Nothing political. You want to talk about a performance and that sort of thing. Social issues, no. He's getting, when he goes off, we want to have the last edit on this. See, interview. that's you interesting. Think- that's interesting that you said that. So you think that um- – it's Kanye's people or someone yeah. in his orbit that asked the producers of these shows to cut those offending remarks. Absolutely. That's yes. interesting. They and that's something I hadn't go. heard. Yeah. Igor, thank you. You know, it's funny you say that. I'm not sure if that's accurate. I remember I was working with a host one time and uh, he I was producing a, another radio show and he interviewed a very big celebrity. And this is. I don't want to say when it was because that'll – if you know what show I was producing when, that'll give something away. But um, he, he, he was interviewing a very big celebrity, and he had pre-recorded this interview. And it was somebody that he knew but not well. And the celebrity made a remark about police and how certain police tend to be abusive, right? And the the interviewer was very fond of the celebrity, and he said to me – you know what, let's cut out the remarks that this person said about the cops. I don't want to jam him up. Now, the person never asked us to make that edit. His people never asked us to make that edit. But this fella, the the host that I was working with, he was so determined not to make this guy look bad that even though no one had asked him to, and even though he could have made a lot of news by leaving that remark in there, he was so protective of this guy's image, he didn't want his listeners disliking this guy. So 
sometimes it's not the publicist or the brand management team that reaches out and says, hey, would you mind cutting that out? Sometimes the host does it on their own, on their own because they want to make this person look good. 800 uh, Let me say hello to, um, let's see here, John in Brooklyn. Hello there, John. Frank, I don't always agree with Debbie, but I think, uh, and I didn't hear the interview you did with her, but I, I think she's right. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think at times there is a double standard whereby if you're black and you say something outrageous, you're not held to the same standard that you would be if you were white, with, of course, Roseanne Barr being the most extreme example I can think of. So. Right, and, and thank you, John. I, I mentioned that I think um, Mel Gibson has had a tough time recovering from those uh, anti-Semitic incidents that he's experienced, and others have as well. But some people are able to bounce back. You know, um, for instance, when um, when Marlon Brando passed away, you know, Marlon Brando, who I'm a great admirer of him as an actor and as a as a lot of the things that he's done, especially in the civil rights field. I think he went on Larry King and said something to the effect of Jews control Hollywood. So, again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But when Marlon Brando died, nobody mentioned that in his obituary. So. You know, I don't know that it's always a black-white thing. I think sometimes it's a fame-not-fame thing. Sometimes it's an insider-outsider thing. And, um, you know, there's a wonderful book. It's called The Deep State by Mike Lofgren. And it's not what you think, but it it is interesting. But um, Mike Lofgren quotes a conversation that um, the former Treasury Secretary, Larry Summers, had with Elizabeth Warren before she was a senator Um, And basically, Larry Summers warned her that if you're an insider, and he was talking about with politics and the economy, not with respect to Hollywood and entertainment, but in some respects, the same kind of thing plays out. Larry Summers told Elizabeth Warren that if you're an insider, there's one thing that insiders can't do, and it's criticize other insiders. And I thought that was uh, so interesting, and I wonder if maybe this was a little bit of what was going on here. Let me uh, squeeze in one more call on this, and then I'm going to move on, because we're not going to make the whole show about uh, Tucker, Letterman, and Kanye West. In fact, I didn't expect to talk about it for this long, but whatever. People are interested. 800-848-9222. Josh is in Rockland. Hello, Josh. Yeah, hi. Um, great show. The, uh, one of the callers, he said he converted to Judaism. He said that we say every morning, goy. thanks God for not being a, a Gentile. So we actually do say that every day. The reasoning is because a Jew is obligated to do 613, we call a mitzvah. So the reasoning is not because a Gentile is worthless, it's because you're happy to be chosen to be the one to be obligated to do more mitzvahs and to have to do more rules. And you were chosen, it's the same reason we say shloy sani issue. Thanks God for making me a man, not a woman, because a woman has less mitzvahs that she's supposed to do. She doesn't have 613 commandments. And that's the reasoning. It's nothing to do with race or... Gotcha. I, I pre- I, uh, Josh, thank you. It was something that I'd never heard, and I appreciate you uh, I appreciate you mentioning that, and I appreciate you bringing that up. 
All right, thanks, Josh. 800-848-9222. We're going to move on to some other interesting things in just a moment. Still to come, we have commendations. And it looks like um, it's a lot more difficult to be a grandparent than a lot of folks probably realize. We'll get into that and uh, some highlights of my weekend. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Four Seasons. So I was walking around all over Manhattan yesterday because uh, my siblings were in the marathon. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, They both did great. But um, one of the things that I saw all over the place, stores, scaffolding, I happened to see all, all over Manhattan. These campaign signs for Mike Zambluskis. Now, if it's a very unique name, so it stands out. And even a lot of people that were walking by these signs notice this. And so I said, well, that's my friend uh, Mike Zambluskis who's uh, running for Congress. And a couple of people that I was with, they said, oh, what district? And they said, well, I said he's running against Gerald Nadler. You remember all the attention that this uh, Nadler race got in the primary when he was running against Carolyn Maloney? Makes sense because... Gerald Nadler is a national figure. He's a chairman of a major House committee. He's been on the scene in Congress for three decades. And every person said the same thing to me. You know, if you look at all the national attention that a lot of the other key congressional races around the country are getting, including to the person running against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, why why is this Nadler's and Bluskis race not getting Attention. So imagine my surprise uh, when just moments ago the aforementioned Mike Sambluskis called in. Mike, uh, it's great to talk with you. I know you're in the waning days of uh, of the campaign. Thanks for calling in. Thank you for uh, taking my call. I appreciate it. As you said, I'm not getting much attention, uh, even though I'm a known entity and I've also a known vote getter. When I ran my last couple races against Liz Krueger, I got over 35,000 votes. And I'm all, as you know, I'm also a policy wonk. I can talk about anything, and I have actual policies. And so, so, Mike, we why, need people. Why do, you think, why do you think your race hasn't gotten the kind of national attention that usually someone uh, running against Nadler would be getting? I think it's a combination of things that uh, – you know, uh, Biden won this district by like 40 points or something like that. So they don't think anybody has a shot. Uh, number two, I haven't raised that much money, which uh, everybody and their mother wanted to give people uh, running against AOC. Um, and I think that's part of it. And I, I don't think the 
national Republicans and even the local Republicans think I have a shot. But little do they know what's going on right now. Because of Zeldin and the Democrats ignoring inflation, ignoring crime, because that's the new mantra. Uh, uh, the Republicans are making up the crime statistics, so we're overplaying it. I'm getting a lot of positive responses. Uh, one of my friends uh, down on um, the lower part of the district, and because my district Main Street from the Hudson River to the East River up to 98th Street on the east side, it goes up to 112, not full 112, uh, because it starts cutting over from 100th Street in Roosevelt Island. But um, he, he's telling me that a lot of his friends, young black men, are voting straight Republican line. Hmm. Uh, that's young it. black men. So you you think that this race is is competitive, even though Nadler's never really had a competitive general election. You think this race is going to be more competitive than people realize? Uh, I absolutely know it is. The Upper East Side, where I'm more well known, because that's where I ran. The voter turnout on the Upper East Side is probably about uh, probably about four times as much uh, as big as on the West Side in Lower Manhattan. So. And I, when I'm working the polls up here, I'm getting like probably two out of three people coming up to me and said, I voted for you. And a lot of them are Democrats. Hmm. They said they've seen me for years. They like me. And although, and a lot of times uh, there are people that were upset that uh, the waning days of the primary, the Maloney, some of the Maloney people hated what, uh, how contentious that race got. So they're voting for me just to, because they don't like Jerry. And by the way, I have two Democratic district leaders on the West side that have openly endorsed me. I think part of the reason it's also more competitive than people think is, as you know, I was an Independence Party member for decades, and I've helped Democrats and Republicans all over the city, mostly insurgent Democrats, and they're coming out for me in those areas that I have helped them with. Mike, uh, so they're supporting we, me. We only have about two minutes here, but I want to go through a lightning round of a couple of quick things here. In your view, I know you alluded to inflation and crime. What is the your single most important issue? What, what is the one issue that you'd like people to know that you're a champion of or an advocate for? Well, what, my biggest one is I want to bring uh, manufacturing, especially critical manufacturing, back to the United States. COVID was much worse because we didn't make our own PPE here and our medicines. 80% of our medicines are made in China. Right now, uh, about 70% of all our computer chips are made in China. Our elite computer chips are made in China or in Taiwan. And that includes our military chips. How can, you know, we are unprepared, according to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to even fight a war now. And part of it, the computer chip problem is leading to the supply chain problem. And we need to address that and immediately, not with the bill they passed earlier this year, which doesn't really take effect in, uh, for five years. Mike, we need that if, right now. If people want to learn more about you, if they want to make a modest contribution, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can go to my website, electmikez.com, and you'll see issues there. The contributions would definitely help. Uh, you know, I'm putting together my All right, all right day, Mike, uh, we've got, got to end it there. ElectMikeZ.com. If I lived in the district, that's who I'd be voting for, ElectMikeZ.com. 
Coming up, uh, we will delve into politics and a bunch of other things. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. things that um, I try to do on this program. Now, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I'm very interested in electoral politics. I've spent the entirety of my adult life, in, and even before I was an adult, I have spent uh, literally decades involved in the arena of electoral politics because I am um, because, you know, I care about this stuff. But at the same time, one of the things that I try to do on this show is not talk politics. Now, why is that the case? One, uh, it's really for two reasons. Um, One, it's because so much of talk radio is dominated by political talk. And I feel like at times, especially in the overnight hours, People just sometimes need a little bit of a break from the wall-to-wall political talk. But the other reason is that I honestly feel that we don't never talk politics. We talk politics a bit. But I honestly feel that we're so divided in this country. We are ready to kill each other over political differences, literally. That I think the more we can get people on the same page, having common ground over pickleball, movies, pizza, uh, pens, using a top sheet or not, whatever, parenting, the more people realize they have in common with one another, the less likely they are to treat someone else in their lives as if they're less than a human being. Because one of the sad, sad trends that I've noticed, especially over the last six years, but it goes back before that, is people are self-isolating. It used to be that um, these districts, these congressional districts, were not competitive because of gerrymandering. Now, that certainly does play a role a bit, but one of the main reasons they're not competitive is because... Democrats are seeking to move to areas where there are other Democrats. Republicans are seeking to move to areas where there are other Republicans. A friend of mine is a Republican, and uh, he he said, I, he told me recently he's moving to Florida. Mike, you love New York. Why are you moving? Uh, I'm tired of a blue state. I want to be in a red state. I want to be with other Republicans. I want a Republican government. And I, one, I was sad because he's my friend and... I enjoy his company, but I was also sad because I think 
that approach, which has become increasingly common, that approach is not what we need to be doing. I think we need more interaction between Republicans and Democrats, not less. And I was reading the Sunday New York Times, and it was a headline that really upset me. And I read the article, and the article upset me just as much. Headline, Family Ties, Political Divisions. And this whole article was about families and how families are divided by politics. And they chronicle this one family, the Bro family in Arizona. Arizona is a purple state. And Carolyn Bro is a uh, Trump Republican and did, doesn't think Biden won the election and so forth. Her husband is a libertarian, doesn't like Trump, but uh, he thinks Ronald Reagan was the last decent politician to run for president. Their children are Bernie Sanders supporting Democrats. So you have three ideologies present in the household. And essentially, they, they all seem like really nice people. And this family seems like they are um, ready to kill each other if they discuss politics. And they mentioned a couple other families as well. But this situation is far too common. And I thought to my, so what they do, you know what this family does? They've decided not to talk politics at all. And I thought to myself, that is so sad. That is so incredibly sad. Because I remember I used to be, and I've mentioned this anecdote before. I used to be in the event videography business. And I I was videotaping a wedding. It was an interfaith wedding, Catholic and Jewish couple. And the Monsignor, who was one of the people performing this wedding, said, one of the mistakes I think a lot of interfaith couples make is by not having God and not having faith play a prominent role in their relationship. Now, ultimately, I think faith is probably a lot more important than politics. But I really view the same situation when it comes to politics. I think when people, whether we're talking a family, a married couple, neighbors, friends, co-workers, I think when people make the decision to not talk politics because they want they want to stay friends or stay friendly with people, I think that is such a mistake. I think the challenge for all of us is how do we talk politics in a way that's meaningful? How do we talk politics in a manner where people aren't going to want to kill one another? And I think by seeing other people's perspective, that is so valuable. There was a uh, a segment on 60 Minutes last night on CBS, on CBS News. And one of the people they spoke to was a professor at NYU, by the, a business professor by the name of Jonathan Haidt. And the, the segment was about social media, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But he said one thing which I found so sad. He said, essentially, as a professor, there's now a whole list of subjects that he goes out of his way to avoid. As a professor, what do you do? I just avoid controversial topics. Really? Yes. Isn't that what college is for? It used to be. Think about that. This professor just avoids controversial topics. John Gambling, when he was on the show the other day, he said essentially the same thing. He said now 
if he doesn't know someone's politics, he doesn't mention politics. Now, I kind of find myself doing the same thing. And I think that's sad. And I want to review, um, I read this two years ago in the run-up to Thanksgiving. And this was a guy that uh, Unity, to, that, uh, a group called uh, Team, Uni- Team Unity point, put, put out about how to have meaningful Thanksgiving discussions, right? And it gave a few tips. And now that we're going into the Thanksgiving season and the holiday season in general and people are going to be seeing family members, including family members that uh, they're likely to have several political disagreements with, I thought it might be fun to go through these real quick. And if you want to add any of your own tips for discussing politics and government affairs in a manner that won't lead you and your brother-in-law, your second cousin, to want to kill one another, I'm all ears. Uh, and I think people would really value these tips, 800-848-9222. For all the, the commentary that I bring to the table, for all the opinions expressed by the callers on everything from the Houston Astros to Kanye West, this is something, practical advice, that could actually help people's lives be better. Because if we're going to live in a country where folks won't even discuss democracy, politics, government affairs, civic affairs, civic engagement, then we've already lost. It's over. If we're afraid to discuss these man, these issues in a, an adult way and in a mature way, then we're done. Done. So here are the tips that uh, the folks at Unity 2.0 put together. One was don't lecture. And this is so important. And this is something I have to remind myself of a lot because sometimes I can get in a, a vein to lecture. Don't lecture. The dinner table isn't a classroom. Few things put people off more than an unsolicited lecture. Two, and I love this, and I found this to be the most effective, and I've tried to utilize this on the radio as well. Ask questions. Ask questions. Leading with questions instead of statements of fact is the best way to create conversation. Facts are loaded with associations and often lead us down the rabbit hole of sources. Asking questions requires your interlocutor to examine their reasonings and values first. Then, so important, humanize. Humanize. It's easy to pigeonhole others into categories when talking about politics. However, just as issues are complex, so are people. Try to find common ground, and this is what we try and do on the show as well, even if it's only tangentially related to the subject. If you both love pumpkin pie, make that part of the conversation. Then summarize their position. So before responding to someone that you might disagree with, try to articulate the position of the other person Better than they did. And I found this to be very effective, and I try to do this on the radio too. It's very challenging in real life as well. The signals that you're listening and validate their opinions, it goes a long way. Then instigate doubt. We're more likely to question our beliefs if we feel that the doubt comes from ourselves. So to spurn investigation into someone else's beliefs, feign ignorance. And ask them to explain their position to you. By asking someone to define their own beliefs, any blind spots will become clear on their own terms, making them more likely to engage in deeper conversation. 
then lastly, find a way out. Don't make the conversation about winning or losing. Instead, try to build a bridge between your points of view that you can both live with. If you have the courage to change your mind or concede on something, chances are whomever you're talking to will as well. So uh, if you have any other tips to help people talk about politics in not avoid discussion, but facilitate discussion, I'd love to hear it. 800-848-9222. Part of the problem is how our leaders behave. Our leaders love to stoke division rather than downplay it. You know, uh, I was President Biden's speech last week, he was essentially blaming Donald Trump and Trump supporters for everything that's wrong in this country. Now, you can like Donald Trump, you cannot like Donald Trump. Come on. That's absurd. Uh, that that is an absolutely absurd statement, particularly when President Biden came into office pledging to be a unifier. Additionally, Donald Trump. Um, I don't know of a politician that he doesn't have a dopey nickname for, uh, including the latest. Did you see the latest with the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis? This was from uh, a Trump rally over the weekend. We're winning big, big, big in the Republican Party for the nomination like nobody's ever seen before. Let's see. There it is. Trump at 71. Ron DeSanctimonious at 10 percent. Now, obviously, he views DeSantis as a potential rival for the primary, so that's why he's eager to tag him with a nickname. But it's it's that kind of thing that I think leads supporters of certain politicians to also behave in such a manner. But this 60 Minutes piece, and I really recommend it, and uh, I'm going to um, I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash moranofan. That's facebook.com slash moranofan. This 60 Minutes piece does a tremendous job exploring how there's one thing that has really polarized our country. You know what that is? Social media. Social media. It has played a role in America's polarized political climate. Even though only 7% of the public is super left-wing or super right-wing, that dominates the conversation on social media. Jonathan Haidt, that NYU professor, talked about how people in the middle are being affected by these extremists on social media, even if they themselves aren't on social media. It's what I call structural stupidity. That is, you have very smart people, highly educated, highly intelligent, but you put them in a situation in which dissent is punished severely, and what happens? They go silent. Hmm. And when, when the moderates, or when anyone is afraid to question the dominant view, the organization, the institution, gets stupid. And he goes on and says that this is exactly what's happened here. And unfortunately, the algorithms behind these social media companies, they facilitate not just division and polarization, but stupidity. And I think the best example of that is TikTok. And I, th- I am very concerned about TikTok. And I think that um, President Trump was absolutely right to pursue banning it. To me, it makes me very nervous that this is owned by a Chinese company. And I learned yesterday by listening to Tristan Harris, who did a a documentary called The Social Dilemma. He was uh, interviewed in the 60 Minutes piece that China, the, a Chinese company, owns TikTok. Did you know 
that if you're on TikTok or your kids are on it or your grandfather, your grandchildren are on it, did you know that if you're on TikTok, the TikTok you're on is very different from the one that a Chinese kid is on? Did you know that? Listen to this. In their version of TikTok, if you're under 14 years old, they show you science experiments you can do at home, museum exhibits, patriotism videos, and educational videos. And they also limit it to only 40 minutes per day. Now, they don't ship that version of TikTok to the rest of the world. So it's almost like they recognize that technology is influencing kids' development, and they make their domestic version a spinach version of TikTok, while they ship the opium version to the rest of the world. That blew my mind. I was simultaneously astonished and not surprised at all when he said that. And sure enough, I went and looked it up after that. He's exactly right. That is exactly what they do. Understand, the Chinese have TikTok. They're giving us junk food while they eat their vegetables. They are using TikTok, which has the ability to be an incredible facilitator of both entertainment and information. They are using TikTok in China to teach and to teach the values that they think are important in China, values like patriotism and values like, um, you know, I don't know, everything that he just mentioned. Here, that's not the case. My, uh, I have a friend who's a very big TikTok influencer. She, has, she makes a lot of money on TikTok. She's got hundreds of thousands of followers, maybe even over a million followers. You know what she does? She eats. She eats and then she farts on, on, in these TikTok videos. She's a huge star on TikTok. And what TikTok and other social media companies have done, it has, I I hate to overstate it, but it has melted the brains of America's youth. And for instance, take a look at what an American child aspires to be professionally. And what a Chinese child aspires to be professionally. Listen to Tristan Harris. There's a survey of preteens in the U.S. and China asking what is the most aspirational career that you want to have. And the U.S., the number one was influencer. Social media influencer. And in China, the number one was astronaut. Again, you allow those two societies to play out for a few generations. I can tell you what your world is going to look like. That, to me is the most frightening thing I've heard in a long time. That the average American youth aspires to be a social media influencer and the average Chinese youth aspires to be an astronaut. And that is really frightening for the long-term prospects of our country. So I'd encourage you to watch this piece um, at facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Really well done. And I'm not even scratching the surface. Wonderful job by Bill Whitaker and uh, the folks that produced this piece. Really well done. But my key takeaways were, one, we've got a big problem with social media in terms of polarization in this country. And that it is amplifying the voices on the far left and on the far right, even though those voices may not be representative of the public as a whole. You know, it's funny. Uh, John Katsimatidis on his radio show is always talking about common sense, common sense, common sense. I like common sense Democrats, common sense Republicans. 
And what he does on his show is exactly the kind of thing that I want to try and do at the Thanksgiving table, facilitate conversation. You know, he's got Democrats there, Republicans, different guests, and everyone's, except Al D'Amato, everyone's civil to one another. But um, that is the exception. These social media services, they have these algorithms which amplify the wackiest among us. There was, and Bill Whitaker gave the example in the 60 Minutes piece, there was a tweet about the the raid at Mar-a-Lago. And it basically just had a nuts and bolts description of what happened at Mar-a-Lago. And there was a tweet, got some shares, got some likes. Then Marjorie Taylor Greene had some incendiary tweet about this and that, you know, all sorts of loaded rhetoric. That tweet got 20 times more shares than the straight news article. Then there was a left-wing person who tweeted, and you'll see this in the piece if you watch it, about how Trump is a traitor, yada, yada, yada. That piece got 10 times more tweets and 10 times more shares than the Marjorie Taylor Greene tweet. So the lesson is all you have to do if you want to be a viral sensation on social media is say the most extreme thing possible. And it's really dangerous. So I'm going to, I didn't mean to rant this long. I'm going to take your calls in a moment. If you have suggestions for how people can facilitate conversation with folks they disagree with, I want to hear from you. And I think the listeners do too. In addition to the ones that I mentioned, which I think are a good starting point, 800-848-9222. Secondly, are you as concerned about what social media is doing to our country as I am? 800-848-9222. And I'm going to try and interview this fellow, Tristan Harris, because I think he has some good ideas about how these social media companies can be regulated. He compared the social media companies to Big Tobacco. I completely agree. I completely agree. There is a role. For big tobacco, if you want to smoke cigarettes or, you know, I smoke cigars occasionally. Um, If you want to do that as an adult who's aware of the risks, that's great. But when you use Joe Camel, a cartoon, to to hook a child into tobacco, they don't understand. And that is what's going on, on in the world of social media. The youth are being hooked by a, a digital Joe Camel. And uh, I really was impressed with this fellow, Tristan Harris. I'm going to see this film, The uh, uh, Social Dilemma, and I'm going to really go into this a bit further. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your call straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. And when I look in my window 
so many different people to be That it's strange So strange You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch Must be the season of the witch Must be the season of the witch yeah. Must be the season of the, the great witch. Donovan uh, singing Season of the Witch You know, it's funny, I've never met Donovan But ten years ago, I was in Las Vegas uh, For the Libertarian National Convention And I really, I'm, you know, I, I don't really consider myself a libertarian But, you know, Roger Stone is a friend of mine and uh, Roger was in the process of work. He was working with the libertarian candidate for president that year. And he was trying to get as many friends of his as possible to be delegates for the libertarian convention. So I agreed. And at the time, I was producing a documentary about Roger. So I was responsible for filming Roger a great deal. So um, there was this... Uh, I, don't, I don't remember what was going on. But there was this moment at the convention where there was a, a lot going on, a lot of chaos. And Roger turns to me and says, hey, you know who that guy is? I said, no. He says, that's, you know, the rock star, Donovan? I said, yeah, I love Donovan. Says, that's his son. I said, oh, I'm a big fan of Donovan. He says, well, go, go, over, uh, go, go over and tell him. You can meet him. He's a nice guy. So I walk over to Donovan's son. I said, hey, you know, I understand you're Donovan's son. My name's Frank. I just want to let you know I'm a big fan of, uh, of your dad's work. And you know what he said? Never forgot this. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. That was that. That's a true story. That's a true story. 800-848-9222. You know, my wife and I went to a dinner party in Manhattan on Saturday night. And uh, we had a good time. Great time. A lot of fun. And uh, the company was great. The food was great. I'll tell you what I really liked about this. Since I was a boy, since I was a child. I have, whenever I've walked into my own home, and honestly, into quite a few other people's homes, whenever I've walked into someone's home, but always my own, you know what I always do? Take my shoes off. I find it, and it has little to do with cleanliness and more to do with comfort. I find walking around indoors with no shoes to be so liberating and so much more comfortable. And so we get in, and I see everyone's got their shoes off. So I said, this is great. This is a shoe-free household. I kick my shoes off. I'm having a great time. But my wife, when when she got there, because we had a long drive into Manhattan. It was all the way uptown, 90-minute drive. So my wife goes to the bathroom, and so she keeps her shoes on. And they weren't just shoes. I think they were boots or heels of some sort. So I think my wife and I are about the same height, but when she's got heels on or boots, she looks significantly taller than me. Now, when I've got no shoes on, forget about it. It's like Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman. Or a picture of Danny DeVito was dating uh, Carol Walt. So I say, honey, you know, you're making those of us that are a little on the short side feel a little self-conscious. And uh, she said, oh, oh, I didn't even see that uh, everybody's got their shoes off. So she takes her shoes off, and then we end up, you know, 
as I think couples do, we end up kind of breaking down the dinner as we're heading back. And, you know, she agreed the food was great. All the people were nice and everything. Sorry we had to leave kind of early because we had a babysitter. She said, the one thing I didn't like is having to take your shoes off. I said, are you kidding me? I loved it. I wish that was the case in every workplace. I wish I had to take my shoes off when I came to work. I love taking my shoes off. Great. Um, and she said, nope, not me. That is big with me. I, I find that to create a whole different social dynamic if everyone's walking around without their shoes on. You know what it is? Maybe part of it is comfort, and you want people interacting with one another while they're comfortable. But part of it is also vulnerability. You let your defenses down. You know that a wrongly placed heel can break a toe. And there's something very, um, it builds such a sense of camaraderie to know that you're walking around shoeless just like everybody else. Just like Joe Jackson or Hagador from Birdcage. 800-848-9222. You're welcome to comment on anything we have covered. Shoes to social media, to politics, you name it. Uh, One open line if you want to jump on board. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello. Let me begin with Tony in Clifton. Hello, Tony. Hi, how are you tonight? I'm well, thanks. Good to hear it. I hope you're feeling better. So, you know, I love your topic of uh, how do you talk to people about things that may be political, either in, an, I guess, in an intimate setting, people that, you know, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think Thanksgiving and, is the 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 holiday that people can most relate to, where you get together with extended family and where you might end up talking politics, especially because it's right after the election. Exactly. And it, it, it always was to me, I had to first feel passionate about something and just make it a me thing, not a political thing, because everyone knows political rhetoric right off the bat. So it has to be something that is in the political arena, but that I feel very passionate about. And it has to be something that I've researched. And that's always a way for me to just, you know, sort of say how I feel about it. This is how I feel. I've done research. And, you know, this is why I've come out the way I have. So, Tony, give me an example of an issue that you that you feel passionate about, that you would feel that you've looked into a bit and that you would want to speak on. So the one thing that I've always questioned is I'm I've studied history and I've studied about pandemics. And I've done, like, listened to just some programs and did a little research on it. And pandemics are things that happen from time to time. And pandemics are things, from what I understand, and that's how I put it, that are scheduled to happen. As in, we maybe should have prepared for this pandemic coming. That's just my feel about it. And that's where I bleed into, I just feel this way because I did research on the pandemics. I feel we should have been better prepared. Sure. So and maybe the pandemic is, is the kind of subject that you would uh, feel comfortable talking about. But if somebody brings up uh, antitrust legislation or the CHIPS bill, maybe that's an issue where you don't necessarily feel as passionately. I wouldn't talk about it unless I knew that I had done my research mm-hmm. because I don't want to. I think here's my thing, Frank. I think a lot of people believe political things passed on to them 
because of their party and not because they understand it. And, and that's, you know, that's sometimes like a lazy thing. And sometimes if, if you are speaking to people one-on-one like that, it's very transparent. You know, politicians can do it and we know it. So I would, I would never want to, you know, not be transparent with someone and be honest and make believe that I know something about something that I don't. Gotcha. Whatever the topic is, that's how I, how I handle it. Gotcha. Well, uh, thank you, Tony. And you know what I like about your approach and I appreciate the call. What I like about your approach is that I hope that if other people take that approach where rather than speaking as if they're this massive authority on everything, they were to essentially be quiet and listen on areas where they don't know as much. Maybe people would learn something. I try to do that. You know, I think um, when, I, for instance, I mentioned this dinner party that I was at on uh, Saturday. I think I spoke less than any other person there. I think people, whenever I'm in a social setting, people are always surprised when they ask you the question, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a talk show host. Well, why are you not talking? Well, because I like to listen. And uh, I like Tony's approach there in that it encourages people to, I, I hate to put it this way, shut up and listen. And that goes to one of the tips that I outlined before. Don't lecture. And another one of the tips, ask questions. And, you know, it's a wonderful, there's a wonderful quote, which is misattributed to Walt Whitman. No one knows who really said it, but Ted Lasso did say it in one episode of season one of Ted Lasso, and he also misattributed it to Walt Whitman, even though there's no no evidence of Walt Whitman saying this. Be curious, not judgmental. I can't tell you how much that quote means to me. Be curious, not judgmental. And I think if you use that as one of your guiding principles, I think you'll find that you're learning a great deal and that you won't alienate people. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Andrea in New Jersey. Hello, Andrea. Hi, Frank. Hi. Uh, Great topics. I like all of them. Thank you. Um, Except the shoe one. <laughs> oh, fair but anyway. Okay, so uh, I recently had a conversation with one of my brothers, and we've been avoiding politics because it just gets to be too crazy, and we have good relationships. But we did get into some things the other day, and I have to say, I think the way I tried to handle it better this time was to really not to kind of not to stand my ground, but to listen better and also to really give in to areas where I feel the other person's right. So not standing on, you know, like ceremony, so to speak, but trying to find the common ground. And in the end, I did say to him, I said, I really think we both agree on so many more things mm. than we realized. I- and I think that approach really was helpful Andrea, I I completely agree with you. I think that's great. I think that's something everyone can learn from. In retrospect, seeing how well that worked out, don't you think that's a better approach for people to follow than the one that you guys were following previously, which was simply to avoid the discussion? Yeah, again, I think sometimes – well, I think two things here. I think it is important to try and have the discussions, Mm -hmm. but I also 
think it's very important to recognize that there's a heck of a lot more to life than politics and that the relationships we have should really be multifaceted. It shouldn't just rely on, you know, talking about politics either. So I, I think that uh, it is important, as we said, more conversation is better in the end because maybe we can figure out how to work out our differences. Well said, Andrea. Yeah. Well said. I'm glad I'm glad that both you and your brother had that, uh, you know, had the maturity to be able to approach a conversation this way. And I think that's what's far too often missing. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Yeah, hi. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. I called originally to say exactly what Josh had explained, okay, but about anti-Semitism, about supposedly what the converts had said, and he explained that we also say religious Jews, as I am, also uh, that we say, thank God you didn't make me a woman or a non-Jew, and that means because we thank God for the privilege of having 613 commandments that, that we're obligated to do. But I think right now you'd rather... Perhaps uh, let me say a way of people that differ in politics, how they can perhaps get along. Uh, My father died about 11 months ago. The last two years, we had an aide. My father father died with over 100, almost 101. We had an aide. I was there about three days a week. I lived in a different borough. Uh, But we had an aide, a black woman, a wonderful woman, a gem from one of the Caribbean islands, I think St. Martin, I'm not sure which island, a wonderful woman. And she knew that I, that I was familiar in politics like a million times more than her. Just like most people, she's not even from this country. She spoke English well, but she knew that I knew more politics. One time she said to me with a smile, we were friendly, uh, I got a feeling you, 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 like, as if it's impossible, that I believe Trump is a good president. Uh, this is about two years ago when he was already not president anymore. And I knew I had no chance. She had a smile on her face, and she considered me infinitely more intelligent than her. That, that's questionable, but that's what she believed. So, yet she challenged me to smile. There's no way in the world that I could have convinced her differently. No way in the world. What did I do? I said, look, forget about Trump. We're not going to get into Trump. Let's discuss what's happening with this administration. And I slowly explained about the border. She couldn't challenge me. She knew enough. And other things that's going on in this administration, that's absolutely wrong. Eventually, I got around, it took about three, four weeks of many conversations, that she saw things pretty much my way. But it's a very difficult thing, (laughs) because when it comes to religion or politics, people are so stuck, like the expression would go, man, okay, you can't say man, but man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Even if you convince them, tomorrow they're back to the same. Right. It's a very difficult thing. Yeah, uh, thank you, Charles. And I think what I'm trying to do is not make it so that people avoid these conversations. I think there's some real value to having them. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Terry in Dutchess County. Hello, Terry. And again, if you leave out God in your life, what happens? Like they were saying the other day, talk radio, uh, big state, little God, big God, little state, and the French Revolution, and the whole nine yards with social uh, media. That's right out of the uh, French Revolution. There you go. They don't believe in God. Wait, wait. Who doesn't believe in God? The the Marxist. Oh, which Marxist? In the French Revolution? 
Yeah, all those French uh, revolutionized guys over there in France. But who's talking about the French Revolution? I am. All right. Thank you, Terry. 800-848-9222. Vic is in Manhattan. Uh, do you want to bring up the Russian Revolution, Vic? No, I don't. Okay. Uh, and while I share your, your desire to have civil political conversations, uh, I think right now uh, there are one or two basic things that no one's mentioned. If you're going to have a civil political conversation with someone, you at least have to have some common shared facts. So what do you do uh, when, when um, you ask someone, uh, was Biden fairly elected? Yes or no? Or if you're a politician, will you accept the outcome of an election if you lose? And if someone says Biden was not fairly elected, I'm afraid, you know, I don't even want to begin the conversation. Mm -hmm. We're on different planets. But then now think of that, though, what the byproduct of that is. Then essentially you're not curing that person of their ignorance they're they're only be, because you're not sharing with them in a manner that they can digest what you find acceptable they are then they just go farther down a path of being uninformed and, and okay yeah, let, let, let me just interrupt I, I didn't go to extremes but if you have QAnon people you know the democrats are pedophile for example well you know and they believe that there's no amount of reason that's going to convince someone who's come to their position out of emotion. No, no facts in the world. Nowhere has anybody who said Biden lost the election have they come up with any set of facts that has been accepted anywhere. Uh, yeah, but so I think whatever the issue is, as important as it, it might be, even issues related to uh, war and peace, and certainly there's no shortage of that now with the Russia-Ukraine situation, I think um, we still have to try to find a way to talk with folks that we disagree with. You know, I saw one story yesterday that really it made me gag. And, and thank you for the call, Vic. A, a female protester at a Kathy Hochul rally in Manhattan was choked by a man during a skirmish um, that, that uh, you know, they had a political disagreement. I, I, I would never occur to me to choke someone over a political disagreement. So it was by the Stonewall Inn and uh, Kathy Hochul was appearing with the Bravo host Andy Cohen to try to shore up some LGBTQIA support. And the footage captured shows a man in shorts and a plaid short sleeve shirt choking a woman wearing a black sweatshirt. I mean, you think of how crazy that is. The, the video didn't show how the fight began, but the unidentified woman that was being choked told the photographer it started when someone took her sign, which featured pictures of Hochul and other Democrats with the tagline, vote them out. I mean, I just I just can't imagine coming to violence over something like this. 800-848-9222. Uh, we'll continue with your calls in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Coming up at the top of the hour, we have uh, commendations coming your way. Interesting situation Friday in the Moreno household. Uh, we had finished dinner, my wife and I, and I could tell she was a little annoyed with me. You know, you could tell where when the responses start to get a lot shorter and the words are enunciated much more than they had been. You, you know, you're not even necessarily sure what you did, but you're sure you did something which in my household probably relates to not contributing enough in terms of household chores, which I'm constantly told that I do improperly anyway. But I could tell she was getting a little frustrated with me. But um, she said that, all right, let's watch a movie. Let's start a movie. Okay. And uh, I said, well, what do you want to watch? She said, I don't know, but uh, I'll tell you what I don't want to do. I don't want to spend a half hour trying to pick, figure out what film we're going to watch. That is all I need. You know, I will swoop right into that vacuum. So what do I do? You know, one of my favorite genre of film, time travel films. Love, love, love time travel films. So when I mentioned this the other day, I started researching on the Internet. What are the best time travel films of all time? And sure enough, I've seen most of them, but there's a few that I haven't. And there's one that came out about 10 years ago that I never saw. So I um, I put it on. And it was a little too dark for Rachel's taste, so she made me shut it off within five minutes. I, I, I said, honey, I thought uh, you, you wanted a decision made. No, but I want something more lighthearted. Okay. So we stopped watching that, and then Rachel goes to bed. I, because I'm on a little bit of a different schedule, I went outside you know, our block has a very festive atmosphere, right? All, on the weekend especially, doesn't matter what time it is, during the day, middle of the night, there's this group. Oh, our, all of our neighbors are always outside on somebody's stoop or somebody's porch. And it, it gives Matt Blaze nightmares thinking about the degree of neighborhood camaraderie that's on our block. But whatever, everybody's always having a good time meeting with one another. So I go outside. And I spend another, I don't know, hour or so at my neighbor's. We're talking. We're sharing our stories of our lives, sharing uh, problems that people have, whatever. Having a couple of drinks. I think I might have finished a cigar. So then I go in, and I'm still not ready to go to bed. So what do I do? I finish this time travel movie. The time travel film? Looper. Really so interesting. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Emily Blunt, Jeff Daniels, Bruce Willis. And I, I had been meaning to see this for 10 years, and I'm so glad that I finally did. If you are into time travel films, this is a must-watch. So it takes place in the year 2044, and it's about this group of people in what's the present day, which is 2044, that kills people. The people they kill come from the future. So there are these criminals 30 years in the future that send people back in time 30 years in the past to be killed. It's, it's fascinating. Fascinating. And then ultimately, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is Bruce Willis. 
and he meets the older version of himself. It's really wild. It's got all sorts of raises all sorts of questions about paradoxes and everything else. Here's a little bit of the trailer. Time travel has not yet been invented, but 30 years from now, it will have been. I am one of many specialized assassins in our present called loopers. So when criminal organizations in the future need someone gone, they zap them back to me. And I eliminate the target from the future. Oh la la. Loopers are well paid. We live the good life. And the only rule is never let your target escape. Even if your target is you. It was really interesting. A little dramatic. Um, it was not at all predictable. I thought the acting of everybody was terrific. And it, it was just great. It was really well done as far as time travel action movies go. And, you know, again, unpredictable is a big thing with me, as you could tell with the varied degree of topics that we cover on this show. I, I love to see a picture and not know how it's going to end. Love it. And Looper, that was absolutely the case. So by now, if you were interested in seeing it, you've probably already seen it. But if you haven't and you're like me and you like time travel films, I suggest you check it out. It's really, really well done. 800-848-9222. Corey is in Palm Bay. Hello, Corey. Hey, Frank. Hi. Uh, I come from a shoe-free household as well. So I guess we were brought up that way because you're walking through the streets and what have you. But if I have a party, I don't enforce, you know. However, uh, I was just wanted to say uh, I usually get into more arguments with conservatives like myself over topics. Because because of the shoes you don't blow up because the shoes right. I so, so because you, you know uh, we we're on the same mindset, but certain people just are you know super trumpeteers, and I'm not. All right, Corey. Music. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, we're gonna do commendations after the top of the hour. Until then, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Good morrow, everyone. With all of the negativity that you are constantly exposed to in the news, with all of the negativity that you encounter in your own life, isn't it nice to celebrate something positive, something good, to give a pat on the back to people that deserve one? And that is precisely what we do every week at this time as part of... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. Ah, yes. Let me begin by commending the winners and all of the participants in this year's New York City Marathon. I want to commend especially the winners, um, Sharon Lochetti and Evans Chabet. They um, won uh, the New York City Marathon, uh, both Kenyan. Uh, by the way, uh, Kenyon again continuing uh, their dominance on this one. But uh, I uh, really, all 50,000 runners, it's an incredible sight to behold and see the athleticism, not only the physical determination, but the mental acuity, the stamina, and the uh, psychological strength that these runners have. It's incredible. I am in awe of it every year. And I get, want to give a special shout-out and a special commendation to my brother Alexander and my sister Claudia. If time permits, I'll share a little bit more about my experience going to see them in the race. But I was proud of them not only for training so hard and uh, pulling off their first marathon, something my father had done as well, but for raising money for a great cause, which is to heal EB. So uh, my compliments, my commendation sincerely to everybody that participated in the marathon, but especially to my two siblings. Commendation as well to Landon Barker. Landon Barker is a seven-year-old boy. Was going trick-or-treating on Halloween. Spider-Man costume, and I like Spider-Man, so this kid is already kindred spirit of mine. And ABC News reported on this story. Landon Barker approached a home in Toms River, New Jersey, and he noticed a bowl of candy left for trick-or-treaters was empty. Now, what would you do? Now, I remember what it was like to trick-or-treat when I was seven. I would move on to the next house. Simple as that. Well, Landon Barker is a much better young man than I was. The video, which was posted on Facebook by the people whose house this is, because they have a a ring camera, shows the seven-year-old boy taking several handfuls of candy from his own stash and placing it in the bowl. And you can hear Barker tell another child before leaving candy here for other people so the the people whose house this was said the bowl was empty by 5 p.m while she and her family were out trick-or-treating adding that she had to share this story so i think this is great this boy this seven-year-old boy comes across an empty candy bowl on halloween And he chooses to go into his own stash and give the candy so that other trick-or-treaters can have it. I mean, if this was my son, I would be so proud of this boy. So I know we have a lot of listeners in Tom's River. And I want to say to uh, this young man, 
Landon Barker, I do commend you. I must also commend Alex Michigan, who is a little older. He is 80 years old. Um, and he is an EMT. Actually, I miswrote his name, actually. It is not um, It is not Alex Michigan. Uh, oh, no, it is. Okay, good. All right. I, 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 my notes, I'm trying to read my own handwriting and decipher these articles that I have already read. And it's... Uh, okay. So um, he is an 80-year-old EMT um, from in Israel. And he is someone who has been integral to helping people for a long time. And he is uh, going to... He's particularly, uh, okay, sorry, Uh, I'm misspeaking again. David Adam is his name. Um, David Adam um, is an 80-year-old EMT who has saved thousands of lives. Okay, last time I'm changing his name. His name is Alex Michigan. Alex Michigan has been an EMT for more than 50 years. And while his wife pleads with him to take his foot off the gas, once his phone lights up, he leaves everything behind and rushes to save yet another life. And so for decades, Alex Michigan's family and friends have become used to the sight of him getting a phone call during either family events or dinner, grabbing his helmet and medical kit and storming out on a scooter to save another Israeli's life. And uh, he is a father of four and a grandfather of 12. Um, This is really, I think, incredibly impressive. Um, So his career started in 1971 when there was a shooting from Jordan to Tiberias. And he was in the area, and he immediately started to treat the wounded. And then when asked how much longer he would continue, he he said that his grandmother died at 103. So he doesn't appear to be slowing down anytime soon. So I think this is really impressive. And in an era where folks are so often put out to pasture prematurely, and where folks are told after a certain age that maybe they can't contribute so much. I think what Alex Michigan is doing is just wonderful. And uh, I uh, give him a lot of credit. All right. I also want to give credit to federal judge Frederick Block. You know, I've read Judge Block's book. He's a real character. You know, federal judges don't make habits of doing radio interviews Judge Block is somebody, while they're on the bench anyway, that it might be worth talking to. Because I've seen him preside over a number of trials. And the guy is a character. And um, I want to give him a commendation. And I know you're going to think I'm crazy here. I want to give him a commendation for releasing from prison two convicted killers. He gave them reduced sentences under the 
First Step Act, these felons applied for compassionate release under the uh, criminal justice reform bill that was signed under President Trump. And he noted that uh, these prisoners were model prisoners and that they were punished with life sentences for exercising their right to trial. He said, quote, I am letting two murderers sentenced to life out of prison. But I have painstakingly endeavored to explain why it is the appropriate thing to do under the First Step Act. So um, I think this is great because one of the things that's driven me crazy for years about the criminal justice system, and a caller mentioned this the other day, is the fact that you're so often, as a criminal defendant, presented with two options, two paths. You go down this path, you're let out of jail. All you have to do is plead guilty. You're let out of jail in no time. Maybe you get a slap on the wrist. Oh, but if you dare go to trial, oh, no, no, no. If we convict you, we're going to send you to jail forever, send you to prison forever. And Judge Block, to his credit, not only recognized that this is the appropriate thing to do under the First Step Act, but I give him credit for publicly saying that you shouldn't be penalized for going to trial. Everybody should go to trial. And we should not have a system which rewards plea bargaining at all costs. Uh, I'll tell you, Judge Block at 88 years old, one of the best federal judges in this country. I want to commend Magic Mushrooms. Yes, that's right. For some years now... Scientists have been investigating how the psychedelic compound in magic mushrooms can ease the symptoms of depression. And more evidence of the link has arrived with a double-blind trial involving 233 participants. The largest study on this subject carried out so far in terms of sample size. The volunteers all had treatment-resistant depression, which means at least two antidepressant treatments have not worked to relieve these major depressive disorders. And so the study, if for the purpose of the study, the participants were split into three groups. One group received a single dose of synthetic um, psilocybin, I think is how it's pronounced. I don't know, but whatever. You you know, one of those words, you know it when you see it. Um. It's modeled, the dose they got was modeled on the psychedelic compound found in magic mushrooms. A second group received a little less, and the final group, acting as the control, received one milligram, barely anything. None of the volunteers knew which dose they received. The study basically showed that the, that the group that got the 25 milligrams it reduced the severity of participants' symptoms in comparison to a one milligram control dose. So um, there was also no substantial difference between the 10 milligram group and the one milligram group. But that 25 milligram group, they were not feeling too depressed. I'll tell you that. Want to give a commendation to the Houston Astros. They have won the World Series. And um, I, I am a National League fan, so I was supporting the Philadelphia Phillies, but there's three things about this that I really like. One, Dusty Baker has become, I believe, the oldest manager ever to win a World Series. The guy is, I think, 73 now. 
Really impressive. Uh, for the same reasons, I'm impressed with that 80-year-old um, EMT. Additionally, Mattress Mac, Jim uh, Mackingville, he placed a bet on the Astros to win the World Series. He bet $10 million that the Astros would win. He has won $75 million. This is the biggest legal sports payday in history. So I I tell you, my hat's off to him. And the other thing that makes me feel good about this story is we've chronicled that over the last 110 years or so, every time a Philadelphia baseball team wins the World Series, economic cataclysm follows. So hopefully now that the Phillies have not won a world championship, we won't have the kind of economic depression that we did in 1929 or even the Great Recession that we experienced in 2008. I have to commend these firefighters in New York. I hope you saw the video because it was really moving. I don't have these fellows' names, but um, Patty Ryan was filming on her cell phone as the FDNY climbed onto ropes and freed a woman that was hanging from the 20th floor window. A fire broke out in a high-rise building in Manhattan Saturday morning, and a video captured New York City Fire Department members saving women from this burning building. A group of four firefighters hung 20 stories in the air on ropes and saved two lives. At the same time, other firefighters rescued dozens more people from the flames. This is one of these rare moments where I wish we were a television show because you have to see the video of what these firefighters did. It is nothing short of heroic. And the woman who filmed the video tweeted, and I think this was a great description, in my entire life I have never seen anything more heroic than what I just witnessed from a New York City apartment. Woman rescued by New York's bravest FDNY in devastating apartment fire, trying to escape, she slipped, hanging 15 to 20 stories up. Thank you to our heroes. This woman was hanging outside the window. She was caught on a child gate. And then one of the firefighters was lowered down to grab the woman. I believe that one was named Arthur, Arthur Podgorski. And um, this is just incredible. You make one little mistake, and this woman could have been dead. But that's how impressive these firefighters are. Not only are they strong, but they're incredibly poised in terms of grace under fire. Since 1980, there have been more than 50 documented successful life-saving evolutions done in the New York City Fire Department. They train for this all the time, but they seldom have to perform this kind of maneuver, and they did it. This is really great. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry that there was such a bad fire here in this Manhattan high-rise, but still, it's great to see this kind of heroism. I want to commend the Volapension Cafe in Vienna. So I love what this cafe has been doing. So they have been 
showing they've been using grandmothers and a few grandmother and a few grandfathers to make all the treats at this cafe. All sorts of cakes and cookies and all sorts of other things. But now they are now these grandmothers that work in this cafe in Vienna are now going to be giving lessons in baking all over the world on the internet via Zoom. So I think it's wonderful that um, the Volapension in Vienna is having grandmothers do this. And I think it's even more wonderful that now um, they're going to be sharing their wisdom on, on Zoom because uh, there's no better way to bridge the generations than with baked goods. Penultimately, I have to commend Malaysia's Prime Minister, Mahathir Mohamed. He's seeking re-election. Why is this cause for celebration? Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't know anything about Mahathir's politics. I don't know anything about what he believes in. I don't know if he's been a great prime minister or a terrible one. Here's what I do know. Mahithir Muhammad is 97 years old. He is already the oldest living prime minister in the world. And he is now seeking re-election. I don't know. Clearly, maybe it's all the gray hair that I've been having. But clearly, I think uh, a psychologist would say something about the fact that so many of this week's commendations have something to do with age. But I find, this is a the Guinness World Record holder for the world's oldest current prime minister, and now he's running again. Apparently, he's sharp as a tack, has not lost a step at all. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm repeating everything I said about the 80-year-old EMT, but in an era where there's this worship of youth, I love old people. I find them chock full of wisdom, and I hate how American society treats them. And, I, you know, sometimes when we, you know, we have done knock on wood very well in the ratings, and our detractors try to cast that off and say, oh, just a bunch of old people listening to, you, to your show. You know what I say? Good. I'd, I'd rather have an old person than a, than a Generation Zer any day of the week. So I think this is wonderful that he's running for uh, re-election. And I'm wishing him the best of luck. He, uh, he had served as prime minister from 1981 to 2003. Then he retired. And he came out of retirement to lead the opposition Pact of Hope Alliance in the elections four years ago. That's when he became the oldest prime minister. And now here he is again. He is uh, going to try and get another go of it. And finally... A special shout-out to all of our Alaskan listeners. Alaska has been named the, no no surprise here, the best state in the country for backpacking. Oh, yes, that's right. There are not many destinations that offer a landscape as varied as Alaska, uh, but sure enough... That is the best state in the country, according to the experts, in terms of places to backpack. So this is according to Travel.com. TheTravel.com, excuse me. Congratulations to you, Alaska. All right. If there's anybody that I have commended that you want to comment on, you can certainly do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. 
888-900-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is the Foo Fighters hero. Uh, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the show, just uh, join our Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Just search that on Facebook, and we will. And you could join the group. Uh, you could participate in discussions about the show, and at the very least, you'll know what kind of music we are playing. So yesterday was the New York City Marathon, and uh, very pleased to have two siblings that uh, participated in the marathon. And I, I think I'm pretty close with all three of my siblings, but um, it was it was very proud as their older brother to be able to watch them. We didn't think we were going to be able to go because we didn't have a babysitter. So then, kind of last minute, um, a, the, a babysitter that we use, not the woman that we use every day, but the babysitter that we use uh, when we want to do something during the week or whatever, uh, Larissa. She was available because her husband is a police officer. And because her husband's a police officer, he got called in to work the marathon. So we ended up having Larissa babysit Saturday night so that we could go to this dinner party. And then Sunday so that we could go to the marathon. Needless to say, this was quite an expensive weekend in terms of uh, paying the costs of, uh, of babysitting. But, you know, she's she's really terrific. And uh, Carmine seems to really... Like her. So this was quite an adventure, This going to this marathon. This was one of those things where my wife and I felt like we, we ran a marathon just getting there and back. So the, all this, there was all sorts of major street closures in New York. So we took mass transit, took the train, to the ferry, to the subway, and then walked. And there's all sorts of street closures, even walking. So we get over to one section where we were, it was mile, just about mile 15 of the marathon, which is where my sister said she was really going to need a boost. And it was warm yesterday in New York. It was very warm. It was not exactly runner's weather. I mean, it was great for us. 
we were walking around in short sleeves. But for the runners, it's very tough. So we end up on one side of the street, and uh, my wife had made a sign for my brother Alex and my sister Claudia, basically say, go Claudia and Alex, and then written in, toenails are for losers. Because, did you know this? When you run all these marathons, you lose your toenails? How disgusting is that? You know, the more I learn about everything that goes on in the marathon, the, the more I'm convinced that I don't want to do it. You lose toenails. It's, it's, a, it's a gross thing. I mean, whatever. The body is not meant to run these marathons, I must say. You, you know, um, the guy that ran the first marathon, you know the story from ancient Greek days, he died. As soon as he finished the marathon, he died. Now, whatever. That's People have made the decision, yes, okay, let's take something that caused a guy to die and let's do it every year. Okay. So... Anyway, we're on one side of the street, and it's crowded. I mean, it was packed. Not only so many runners, but um, there was so many participants, you couldn't even walk around on the street. I mean, it was packed. So we're on one side of the street, um, and then we see my brother Alexander's longtime companion, Marley. And uh, she comes and joins us, and she's kind of an artist. She made a very elaborate sign, and where you can track the runners on your smartphone. So my my uh, wife and Marley are both tracking my brother and my sister on their phone and can tell when they're coming. So we're on one side of the street, and then my cousin Deanna and her husband, they're on the other side of the street. They made a whole separate sign. It says, go Team Morano, right? So then Alexander's coming, and he's he's running, and we see him. And I got to tell you, and this is the 16th or 17th mile of this marathon. The guy looks great. He looks like he doesn't have a care in the world. He's smiling. He's laughing. He's having a good time after running for 17 miles at a very fast pace, by the way. So he first sees Deanna on the other side and then sees the sign that says Team Morano. And then Deanna points at us and then he sees... Me there, uh, Rachel, and uh, his girlfriend. And then he smiles at us and gives us a wave. And that was great. We felt good that he looked so good. Okay. Then we try to traverse First Avenue and try to get to the other side so at least we're on the same side as Deanna by the time my sister comes around. What an adventure it was getting to this other side. We get there. And then... um, we're tracking Claudia's progress. We see Claudia. <laughs> and I, I, I'm sure she wouldn't appreciate me saying this. Claudia looks miserable. She looks absolutely miserable. She looks like she is having the worst time in the world. She is um, just the opposite of how Alex looks. Alex was laughing, he was smiling, he was having a good time, he was waving. Claudia, I could tell, you know, as someone that knows her, but I think anybody could tell, she was really having a difficult time and did not look good, honestly. And we were hoping to see her and cheer her on and that she would see us and get a boost. And we're holding up our signs for her. She has headphones in the whole time. She's got these iPod earbud things in. So she doesn't hear all of us screaming at her and yelling at her. 
So she doesn't even see the encouragement that we were gathering to give her. And uh, but uh, we got it on video that, you know, we were there and we were watching her and everything. Uh, So she passes us. We said, all right, what are we going to do? Well, let's start making the trek back downtown and ultimately back to Staten Island. Maybe we'll stop and get brunch downtown somewhere. Maybe a drink. And then that's it. So we're walking to the subway. And who do we see as we're walking to the subway? And this is the kind of thing that, one, I think only happens in New York. It's like Cindy Adams says, only in New York, kids, only in New York. Two, this is the kind of thing that only happens to me because I really am convinced that uh, synchronicity is a thing. City of millions of people, 50,000 runners, probably at least that many pedestrian passers-by, five boroughs. We're walking to the subway. Who do we happen to see as we're walking to the subway? In the five-block walk to the subway, my father and stepmother. They stop us on the street. And, uh, you know, they were basically there to cheer on my siblings as well. They headed up to the finish line to greet them at the finish line, and we headed downtown to go the other direction to go to brunch. But, I mean, you talk about what are the chances of that happening? So they both had a uh, very strong finish and uh, very, very proud of both of them. And we, uh, Deanna, Rachel, Deanna's husband and I, we went downtown and uh, we found a place that was not only serving brunch, because it's tough downtown to find a lot of places that are open. Found a place that was not only serving brunch, but for $26 offered the option of a bottomless brunch. Very exciting. So for $26, you could have unlimited uh, mimosas or Bloody Marys or beer or uh, uh, what do you call uh, what do you call those? Hard seltzers. And so I didn't get to take full advantage of it because we had to get back in some sort of reasonable time so that we didn't have to mortgage our house to pay our babysitter. And we, she was already watching him for five or six hours. But, um, you know, I had a couple. Otherwise, if there was not a time limitation, I would have shown people what a marathon was because that any time that I've ever bought that bottomless brunch option in any establishment, I can assure you the establishment is losing money on me. I will promise you that. So it was a a really fun day and uh, just, again, so in awe of everybody that was able to run this marathon and uh, incredibly just proud to, uh, you know, to have two accomplished siblings like this who are not only such great people, but such uh, such great athletes. So that was really, really nice to see. I'm so proud of them. All right. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 800-848-9222. But, but again, I know we have a lot of people in from all over the country in our city, uh, maybe listening to this show for the first time, maybe not being able to sleep because they crashed right after the marathon, and now they're up at an odd hour. It's really impressive for everybody that ran this. And it's just such a remarkable organizational achievement. All five boroughs, I think it's something like four or five bridges that you run over. It's remarkable. My friend George Spitz, who passed away, unfortunately, he was one of the founders of the Five Borough New York City Marathon and kind of helped design this. And it's really just a remarkable thing from a city perspective as well as from an athlete's perspective. 800-848-9222. Although it's funny, both Rachel and Deanna, as we were watching all these runners with this pained look on their face, 
including my sister, both of them said how every time they're tempted to think about training for the marathon, seeing the look of anguish on these runners, they they immediately say, oh, no, 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 okay, uh, it's not something that I ever want to do. Uh, Michael is in Brooklyn. Hello, Michael. Frank, you're the greatest. Um, Thank you. I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, first one would be, um, you know, you, you threw me off topic. I did run the marathon at uh, one time. Oh. And it's one of the most unbelievable experiences you could ever have. I, but, I don't uh, doubt it. I don't doubt it. As a pedestrian, it's unbelievable. I can't imagine as a runner. Oh, the the crowd uh, that you know the the support that the crowd gives you makes you uh, just pull pull it through. You know. Yeah, that's why uh, I felt bad for my sister because she was really struggling, and I think would have benefited from the boost. And um, and she couldn't hear us because she had those earplugs in. And then when when she finished, she she was having a very tough time. She said, "I forget the phrase she used, but she said she was very, very tired and you know very she was she very she had a tough time with it." But she finished. Yeah, when, once you get up to that like that twenty mile mark, you're kind of dead, and then you cross the uh, the bridge and and. It gets all silent, and then you just go into this huge crowd coming down to run into, like, Central Park. And it's it's so amazing. It's so, uh, yeah, uh, that's fantastic that your uh, siblings have done that. And uh, congratulations to them. Yeah, thank you. My dad did it also. Um, he did it uh, when he was 54 years old. And he happened to wow. do that um, for the first time. That was, I think, the only time that he ran it. Uh, and he he happened to do that. Uh, and he's an impressive guy, my dad, both physically and intellectually. But he happened to do that the same year that he ran for Congress. And to do those two things simultaneously, both uh, train for a marathon and run for elective office in the same year. I mean. They probably should have uh, institutionalized this guy because it's insane. But what else did you want to add, uh, Michael? I, I know I don't want to make it a whole marathon discussion. Um, well, yeah, uh, I I had a question uh, about uh, Dan. Now I'm I'm kind of thrown off, but I did have a question about um, Tulsi Gabbard, um, uh, Selena Gomez, and uh, you know. Who would you rather go out to dinner with out of those two? Oh, just those two? Um, uh, well, I'll throw in one other person, uh, Curtis Lee. <laughs> well, Curtis loses. Uh, I've, I've eaten with Curtis, and trust me, it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Um, I don't know. You know, honestly, I don't find um, Selena Gomez at that, um, you know, uh, that attractive as a potential romantic partner. She's not somebody that I have a crush on or anything. I, I think she's a really talented actress and singer. I, You know, she's probably a little young for me. So I, I would, if I were looking for a romantic partner or even just a dinner companion platonically, it would be it would be Tulsi Gabbard out of, out of those two, Michael. But thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Steve is in Brooklyn. Hello, Steve. Uh, a remarkable story of a recent bride three weeks ago by the name of Haley 
with her husband uh, Derek. They, cli- they for their honeymoon. They climbed up to the base camp of Mount Everest. They ran the ma- uh, she ran the marathon as part of the Achilles Track Club, whereby she was tethered to a blind runner named Chewy. Whoa! And the day they succeeded uh, wonderfully. Their time was under four hours in the heat and all. But what was most remarkable and funny is that Chewy decided he wanted to do a run-up. This was his 21st marathon. He did a 10K run the day before. That's nuts. And he, he said, gee, you know, I, I felt a little bit of um, my, my legs were a little bit sore. And I told the rather a, a slightly off-color but very funny joke that had them howling about the sultan that claimed he could satisfy a thousand women in one day. And the uh, retainer said, oh, great wazir, uh, we know you're a manly man, but no one can do that ever. And he said, would you like to make it interesting? They made a bet. So um, in the tent, the first young lady came out with a smile on her face, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, 50, 100, 200, up to 750, the, the sultan has collapsed. They run in, oh, great wazir, you had us believing. And he said, I don't know what happened. It worked great at dress rehearsal this morning. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. Thank you, Steve. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Original Rick. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. I was just wondering, did you ever ask your siblings what's their actual motivations for being into running marathons? Because it's not healthy. I've read so many things. they got blood in their urine for two days afterward. You're telling me to lose your toenails. That's insane. And and everyone knows that that guy who ran 26 miles, you said the first guy and died, he was running on soft dirt and stuff. They the pavement's got to be the worst thing to do. I, I, I agree with you, um, but, um, you know, look, clearly 50,000 people found that it was worthy of uh, of doing. I think in their case, right, uh, I think, one, they were they were into the, the challenge of trying to do the. Uh, you know, Claudia keeps saying her next day off she's going to come in uh, and hang out, you know, uh, on this show for 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 a little while. So uh, maybe uh, maybe on Thanksgiving she'll uh, she'll come high, in, Jeff? and you, you could ask her. High? Do you think it's the high? You know, they talk about the runner's high. I could see that, right? Them, I, I could know? definitely, I could definitely see that. Also, uh, you know, the cause that they were raising money for. Uh, oh, to, I didn't to, realize that. I yeah. didn't realize they were raising money. That then that's something different, but. Still, you can run a, a 5K or 4, 26 miles. Uh, no, uh, agreed, yeah. agreed, Rick. Uh, I, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, the cause that they were raising money for uh, to support EB research is something, um, you know, that they're very passionate about. And I have the link on my Facebook page. I posted a link on Friday. It's still there, facebook.com slash Fan. And a lot of listeners were kind enough to make a donation. I know... Uh, uh, my friend Lauren Conlon made a donation. I believe Ellen uh, Metzger made a donation, and uh, a lot of other folks that um, th- you know that listen to the show were kind enough to make a donation to their efforts. Team Morano on uh, you know th- their efforts to raise some money. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Daniel is in Nevada. Hello, Daniel. Hey, what's up, dude? Uh, you morning. tell me. You tell me, Daniel. What station are you listening well, to us out there, Daniel? Oh, uh, K-E-L-Y, I think it is. Love it. Great. Like Great guys over there. Uh, yeah, uh, Wyatt. 
I'm sure. Yeah, he's okay. Why it's okay. He's a bit of an oddball. That's for sure, yep. Uh, uh, Good morning. Sir. Good morning. What's on your mind, Daniel? I was I was curious, man. You, I heard you say earlier, yeah, and as I've been sitting here on listening to you, people's toenails and stuff falling off. That just that doesn't sound like my cup of tea. I'm curious. What would you do, if anything, you know, that is some people would call maybe crazy or you know, cheat death a little bit? Or I would jump out of a perfectly good airplane with a parachute, of course. <laughs> I would hope with you the know, parachute. And, and people climb Mount Everest, things like that, you know, just wild things. If there's anything, I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I would uh, I would definitely go skydiving. Um, I would definitely do that. I would, uh, you know, Mount Everest, uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to think about that. Um, no, I don't think so, man. I I live at just shy of 7,000-foot elevation. That's high enough Yeah, for me. no, I'm just trying to think yeah. if I would enjoy that. I don't know that I would. You know um, what I, you know um, what I, and thanks for the call, Daniel. About 17 years ago, I, uh, I hosted a marathon TV talk show. I hosted a 33-hour TV talk show, which may not sound physically taxing, but it really is. So I would do something like that again, maybe. I would do something that I do, you know, which is host radio shows or TV shows, and do that in a marathon session, perhaps. 800-848-9222. Charlie's in Queens. Hello, Charlie. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for asking. (laughs) No problem. First time listening to you. I love your show. You're a very easy listen. Oh, well, that's very kind uh, of you. Well, then if, if I'm such an easy listen, why is this the first time you're listening? Well, I, I don't like driving at 445 a.m., Frank. i got to uh, be honest with you. I'm going to the airport, and uh, I gave you a shot because I hear all about you on daytime radio. So uh, here I am. Well, uh, then, Charlie, you have forgotten to roll your clocks back because in <laughs> New York it is 345. You know, I stared at my... Uh, my dashboard. That's the problem, not mm-hmm. on my phone. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Uh, well, the so rest I'm, of us are on standard time. You are staying on daylight saving time, Charlie. Thanks for the correction, Frank. I appreciate it. I uh, never thought a toenail would inspire a phone call, but, <laughs> but 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 I had to call you because you reminded me of a buddy of mine who announced about ten about ten years ago that he was going to run the marathon, and I had my doubts about him. He's kind of like a bodybuilding type of guy, not not really you know your classic runner. That you would imagine, but he, you know, he trained for it. He did it, and when it was over, I waited a couple of days, and I, I called him. I said, how was it? He said, to be honest with you, it was the most miserable experience of my life. Mm. And, and Frank, what he said to me um, was triggered by your toenail uh, anecdote. He said at about mile 17, he started to feel some moisture on his chest. His nipples started to bleed. Oh. Oh, my I mean, I, 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 so when you say your body is not meant for this, I, I, I totally got to agree with you on that. No, it's, it's true. That's well, not look, supposed to happen. Yeah, I, I, again, I could see it being something that people do once, but, um, I, you know, I would not do this repeatedly. You know, one of the things, if you're a – look, my brother and sister were never going to win this marathon, right? But right. if you're a serious marathoner, what I find to be the most disgusting thing in the world – is and maybe you know what I'm about to say, but it is you're expected if you have to urinate or, or something like that, you're expected yep. to just go while you're oh, running. Yeah. I find yep. that to be revolting. Now, my uh, my uh, brother's longtime companion, she said to me that what happened yesterday at the race is the guy that was in the lead actually stopped 
ran to a porta potty and took a bathroom break, which is like unprecedented, and then he went and still won the race. That's how fast this guy is. Wow, I, yeah. I can't help but be reminded of the Greta, you know, the old Greta Vate story. I mean, talk about playing through. I, the most <laughs> I want to play through, Frank, is on a golf course. I don't want to play through on a on a marathon course. Hey, experience uh, that ever. Same here. I, I like a pickleball course where there's a or a pickleball court where there's a bathroom right over there. Hey, uh, Charlie, thanks for calling. I hope, uh, in spite of your your uh, need for sleep, that you will make this listening a regular habit. I sure will, Frank. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. And by the way, if people need to sleep occasionally, we understand that. I slept once myself. Um, you can listen to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Moreno on any podcast app. iTunes, it's much like Andrew Cuomo's podcast, it's on Apple. Um, and uh, it's on Spotify, wherever. And just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano and hit the subscribe button. And then, boom, voila, this show will be in podcast form on your mobile phone each and every day. So you don't even have to worry about staying awake. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue with your call straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. We're running with the shadows of the night. So baby, take my hand, it'll be alright. Surrender all your dreams to me tonight. They'll come true in the This is the other side of midnight. Hey, this is uh, Pat Benatar, who um, Matt Blaze informs me was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on Saturday. Well, that's nice. Uh, good for her. And uh, you're a fan of Pat Benatar? Absolutely. And yes. she she held out for a long time because she wanted her husband, who was also a guitarist and co-songwriter, Neil Gerardo, also inducted with her. And, and did so he they, get inducted? Yeah, they're both inducted. So, uh, you know, again, I don't know how much these halls of fame really mean. I mean, uh, uh, the baseball hall of fame, I do find pretty significant, right? That's an impressive thing and a very meaningful thing. The WWE hall of fame, I find <laughs> to be a, a total joke. Yeah. I find the rock and roll hall of fame to be somewhere in between because I don't really think it should be called the rock and roll hall of fame because they have so many musicians in there that are not rock and roll artists. Yeah, I've always said that it just sounds cooler to say the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame than just the Music Hall of Fame, because it really is. It's a yeah. Music Hall of Fame. It's country music. It's R&B. They all like to say, oh, it all stems from the same thing. It, it, it's just music. Music is music. There's all these radio halls of fame as well. I, I, at least until I'm ever asked to be inducted into it, I find that to be kind of a joke as well. There's all these huge stars that are, that are have been have led legendary careers in radio that are not in the Radio Hall of Fame, but um, then these these other schlemiels that are. So, hey, uh, speaking of radio, 
we're going into Christmas film season now. And a film that you are going to see over and over and over and over again, um, sometimes on TBS or TNT, they'll do a day where they show just a marathon of this film over and over and over again is A Christmas Story. Over the years, I got to be quite a connoisseur of soap. My personal preference is for Lux, but I found Palmolive had a nice piquant after-dinner flavor, heady, but with just a touch of mellow smoothness. Life Boy, on the other hand... You ready to tell me? All right. Where did you hear that word? Now, I had heard that word at least ten times a day from my old man. My father worked in profanity the way other artists might work in oils or clay. It was his true medium, a master. But I chickened out, and I blurted out the first name that came to mind. Schwartz! Oh, I see. Now, it's a great film. I really enjoy it. And it's kind of um, kind of paved the way for the wonder years which came after it. If you're one of the few people that hasn't seen A Christmas Story, it's basically told uh, – a narrator tells the story of things that he experienced as a child. Now, why are we mentioning radio in this context? Because the person that narrates that film is the person whose stories that film is based on. Legendary radio personality Gene Shepard. Gene Shepard used to go on the radio all the time and just tell stories about what life was like for him as a kid. This is one of those films that's like a litmus test. If, if the kid had a happy, if the, if the reviewer had a happy childhood, he'll love it. If the guy had a rotten childhood, he's going, ah, bah, humbug. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's genuinely an emotional film, and I, and I don't really know what the critics are going to say. Uh, I think the ultimate critics of a film, though, are the people who go to see it, just buy a ticket and see it. That's what I'm interested in. I've never been interested in critics. All right, so that's him talking about A Christmas Story, which was based on the stories that he used to tell on the radio. When we come back, we're going to play you. There is a trailer to the new sequel of A Christmas Story. Is this a film that really needed another sequel? There was a sequel about 10 years ago. After Shep had passed away, is America ready for another? What do you think? 800-848-9222. And a fascinating story out of Texas, which deals with a whole lot of unfairness. I'm going to play that for you. I'm going to share that with you as well. Until then, in the words of another great radio legend, your influence counts. Make sure you use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. So we're talking about Gene Shepard and a Christmas story. Gene Shepard is a fascinating man, uh, and I, I was a fan of uh, Shep's. And I interviewed not long ago one of his biographers, and um, Gene Shepard does, uh, did a lot of what I do, although he did it much better. But he his whole show was him telling stories, funny stories about his youth, about his life, whatever. And it was great. And he would spend a lot of time telling stories about his youth around Christmas time. And we, I try to do the same thing, but it's a little different. But um, Gene Shepard, they took these stories, some of which were memorialized in a book, uh, in several books, actually. One was In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. And they made it do a film. They had Gene Shepard narrate the film, and it led to a lot of other interesting opportunities. I think he made so much money from that film that he really didn't have to be on the radio anymore. And he kind of got bored with the radio. He did some television things, did some some other things, but he did not want to continue being on the radio, and he could have. He could have. I remember hearing an interview that he did with Alan Combs, before, um, obviously before he passed away, in the late 90s, early 2000s, in which Alan Combs asked him, why'd you leave? And Shep basically said, well, I got tired of it. I outgrew it. I wanted to do other things and motion pictures. And I think really it was financial. He didn't really need to do this to be on the air every day. Well, whatever the case may be, those contributions resulted in the early 1980s film, A Christmas Story. There was a sequel. There was actually a couple of sequels to A Christmas Story. I don't think anybody ever saw the sequels. But A Christmas Story remains a classic. And now HBO Max is coming out with a sequel. It's called A Christmas Story Christmas, where... Peter Billingsley, who plays Ralphie, reprises his role as Ralphie. So there's no fluffy pink bunny pajamas or rifles. At least we don't think so. But there is a trailer, and viewers are given the gift of Peter Billingsley reprising his iconic role of Ralphie Parker. Oh, life moves fast. One day you're playing kick the can with kids named Flick and Schwartz. I triple dog dare you! And the next thing you know, you're a certified adult. Ralph! Ralph, dear old man. Fragile. He was the best. Ralphie, promise me we're gonna make this a wonderful Christmas. That would make your father so happy. I promise. What had I done? And now it was all up to me? I suggest you start drinking and don't stop till New Year's. Hey kids, who wants to go see Santa? This is amazing. Incredible. We will meet you right here when you're done. Don't let him kick you in the face. Huh? It's the half happy scene. No, uh, no, when it's just us decorating, it kind of feels like child labor. Honey, it's not labor if we don't pay you. Yeah. So A Christmas Story Christmas, which is set in the 1970s, features an aging Ralphie returning to his hometown with his new family in an attempt to reconnect with his childhood after the death of his father. 
So um, the film is considered to be separate from the 1994 sequel, which was called It Runs in the Family. I never saw that. And the TV musical uh, A Christmas Story Live. There was uh, another sequel that came out in 2012. I think it was just called A Christmas Story 2. But uh, this is set to hit HBO Max on November 17th. I'm going to watch it. I am curious. But it's not the same without that Gene Shepard narration. I don't know if the the stories that are told in this film are also going to be based on stories that Gene Shepard told on the radio. But I certainly hope so. I've always thought that the stories that I tell on the radio could be an interesting motion picture, right? But who knows? Maybe that's uh, maybe that's a maybe that's my ticket to retirement. We'll see. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. You know what I do when I'm not on the radio hosting a radio program? I host a radio program for anybody that is within earshot. So on Saturday. I was doing my typical telephone-free Saturday. And I'm sitting across the street with my neighbors. And so everyone's gathered around, and I'm reading the paper. And I do the same thing that I do with them that I do with you, is I go through the stories that I'm seeing, and I, uh, you know, ask their opinion about this. So I saw this story which stuck with me. I don't like standardized tests. I think that puts, I mean, I did okay on them, but it puts children under so much pressure. It puts adults under so much pressure. I don't think it's necessarily the best gauge of what you've actually learned And I think it's a shame that standardized tests like the SAT and the ACT have uh, they have such an outsized impact on where students go to college. And since I saw this story on Saturday, it didn't get a lot of attention. But. I've really felt bad for the students in the story. Dateline El Paso, Texas. Bunch of kids take the SAT. SAT, I think, you know, you know, is a standardized test that millions of teenagers take every year. And you put it on your college application, and it affects what kind of college you go to. It can help, too, because, honestly, I got to go to NYU, which was the only school that I really wanted to go to. And I did well on the SAT. Not great, but well. And my grades were only mediocre because I never did homework and... I was much more interested in other things than schoolwork. But my SAT scores were pretty good. So because my SAT scores were decent, that kind of helped make up the shortfall that uh, that my grades left. So students at El Paso High School took the SAT. The SAT was being shipped off to wherever they go to be graded. And the exams were in a UPS truck. You know UPS, what can Brown do for you? Well, somehow the back of this UPS truck was open. And 55 tests 
fly out of this truck and were not recovered. Some of them were recovered, but 55 tests fly out of this truck were not recovered. So now, what happens? Well, what would you do? If you were in charge, if you were the ETS, the Educational Testing Service, what would you do for these 55 students? 800-848-9222. I'll tell you what's going to happen in all likelihood. These kids are going to have to take the test again, probably. I find this so incredibly unfair. First of all, the stress, the anxiety, the time. If I remember correctly, the SAT was about two hours. And they're going to have to go through this all again through no fault of their own. They didn't cheat. They didn't do anything wrong. Because the UPS truck lost their exams, they may have to take this again. Uh, Raina Porras is a junior at El Paso High School. She spoke with KTSM 9 News about these SAT tests flying out of the truck. She was like, oh, they're actually Scantron bubbles because you can see the little bubbles if you really looked. So I looked and I could see the bubbles. So my mom, as a joke, was like, oh, they're your PSAT scores because I had taken that my day, the day before. And today I just found out that they were actually the SAT scores from our school. I feel horrible for these children. I'll tell you my solution. And tell me if you think this is equitable. The national average for the SAT is the national average score is 1060. I say every one of these students gets the option of getting a 1060 on that test, or they can choose to take it again. So you give them the option. You give them the option of take the test again, whatever your grade is, your grade, whatever your score is, is your score, or you could take the national average 1060. And then, because look, if you're in the bottom 10% and you really struggled, then maybe that average score sounds pretty good. And it's average, so it's not screwing up any any curves or anything. And look, if you're a super great student uh, and you took an SAT prep course and you got a 1450, you take it again. You take it again. It's unfair that you're in that position, but, you know... Uh, that's what I would do. If I were the grand poobah over at the ETS, I would make it, you get to choose. Do you want to take this again? Or do you want to take your average score of 1060? What say you? What do you think of that frank solution? 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Carol in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Hi there, Frank. How Hi, are Carol. you? I'm great. I'm glad, I'm glad to tell you that my knee has finally almost totally healed. Except because I had a fractured kneecap and I was in the hospital for like a month and a half, I what? couldn't walk. Oh boy! All. Well, we're glad you're doing better. Yeah, I I have permanent uh, screws in my knee, but because uh, I saw the doctor and I said there's screws in my knee because he showed me the X-ray oh. and I said, are those going to be removed? And he said, no, they're going to stay there. He said, are they bothering you? And I said, no. Well, so, it sounds like your marathon days might be over. Oh, well, forget about that. There's going to be no marathon. Yeah, but some of those people probably had the same sort of injury that I did. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. 
that that poor person that fell, I don't know how okay they were. But, um, you know, I was going to talk to you about um, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Shepard. Gene uh, Shepard. Okay. Um, yeah, that that was one of definitely one of my favorite films, A Christmas Story. And, um, you know, he just, it's amazing that he seems so much older and so much more mature, but I guess that's the case, you know. Well, <laughs> he who, is a lot older and a lot more mature. Who was? The kid. The, the, older than whom? No, I'm talking about uh, the guy that played, what was his name, Ralphie in the film? Right, the character's Ralphie, but he are you saying, right. who did Ralphie seem older than? No, I'm talking about now that they're putting out this new film. And it's, it just seems amazing how much older and more mature he is and everything. But it's been many years, though. This is true, Carol. This is true. That's right. That's right. Carol, thank you. Good luck with your knee and everything. Appreciate you calling. Well, it'll be okay. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks. All right, 800-848-9222. Six open lines if you want to jump on board. Now's a good time as any. Hey, uh, Matt Blaze, what what do you make of this? What would you do with this UPS SAT scandal? Uh, If it was me, I would take it over. I wouldn't, but but what should we do now? No, well, yeah, what should these people do? They're probably going to have to take it over. Make all 55 of them take it over? No, didn't they, you said they found some of them? If they found the test, yeah, but there's then they, still 55 missing. Oh, there's still 55 missing. Right. Oh, then yeah, they're going to have to take it over. That's that's. But don't you think that's unfair for these I, kids? It's it's horrible. But what else? What else? You if you're an above average student, you're going to want to take it over. And if you're below average, and let's say you didn't do that well on the practice test, you're going to be. Like, I'll take the 1060. But then the colleges. Is it going to be an asterisk next to their name? No, no. To let them it, know that it, hey, you from El Paso is one of you. Is did you have to take it over, or did you just take? It, it doesn't make any sense. Like well, the look, schools are going to look at it and go, "How do we really know?" More and more colleges, I think, are giving the SAT less weight. But um, I hate this. I just I, to make these kids go through this test again. Oh, I agree. I re- I remember SAT. Th- there's got to be something that's done for them. There's just got to be something. I don't know what. Did you take the SAT? Yeah, it was a nightmare. How'd you do? I got like eleven twenty. Oh, that's pretty good. Not yeah, bad. it wasn't bad. Not bad. Um, Kenneth, would you? What, what was your deal? Did you take the SAT? I did, but I really can't remember what I got. Uh, I bet you can't. Low score. I bet you can't. Yeah, low score on a on a rigged exam. Yeah, the problem is they were asking questions about devil scores. That's that's the, right. That's the problem. <laughs> he, that's what th- what threw him. Uh, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. You know what I'm a, actually a much bigger believer in, um, and I, you know I did okay on the SAT. I could have done better, but you know you can do better at everything. But uh, I'm a big believer in SAT twos. I don't know if they still do those, but what they when I was going to school, they would SAT twos were basically standardized tests for specific subject matters. So it would actually test you on er, on learned knowledge, not strategies about uh, because look so much of the they say and I think this is still the case that the SAT measures one thing one thing tests only one thing and the only thing it tests is how well you take the SAT and if you know the strategies right 
that can help you do well on the SAT, you can kind of learn how to game the system a little bit. Um, and it's much tougher to do that with SAT twos. You actually have to know the answer about what you're talking about. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Jay is in the Poconos. Hello, Jay. Hey, good morning, Frank. Morning. Um, so the SAT thing. So I think it's how you uh, process different things that are stressful. Like uh, I would look at it as an opportunity to be to do better and. I would also think that I, I wouldn't want to get a 1050 or a 1060 because if I scored higher than that, then I'd be cheating myself. Well, sure. If I didn't do better, then I would, you know, just be getting something I didn't earn. So I would say, hey, you know what it is, what it is, and I got to do it. Yeah, okay. That's fair. That's fair, Jay. Thank you. And the school district uh, said that the college board counselors – are working to provide the affected students vouchers to take the ACT, which is another standardized test, or college entrance, college admissions exams for free. Well, of course it should be for free. What, are you going to charge them because you lost their test? Come on. So they didn't reveal how. By the way, I'd love to know what happens to this driver. I'd love to see some ramifications, some consequences for this driver. Ruining... 55 students tests like this. They didn't reveal how the driver lost the tests. UPS has apologized for the mishap and said employees are still working to recover the missing tests. So maybe they will recover them. Uh, UPS should have to give these students some financial compensation. Uh, you know, I'm, maybe they pay for their books for the first semester of college. I think that's reasonable. What is books in one semester? Is that like $1,200? Fifteen hundred dollars, maybe maybe two thousand. UPS should have to pay for their books. I think they should offer, not have to. The UPS should go out of their way and say and say, stick your apologies in a sack. We're going to pay for your first semester of books. I think that's nice. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Mark is in Rochelle Park. Hello, Mark in Rochelle Park. Good morning. Frank. Morning. Good morning. How are you? Hey, Frank, there's no way you can give that average score. Unfortunately, life isn't fair. There's 55 kids have got to take the test again. It's just going to be one of the first of many times we're going to run into trials and tribulations. It stinks, but so does life sometimes. I like the idea about giving money back up for the books, giving them some compensation. Okay. That's uh, all I got, Frank. Yeah, you know, that's probably – thank you, Mark. That's probably more realistic than than – letting them take the average score. UPS should have to take some ownership of their mistake here and contribute to these students' academic lives in some way or another. And I think that's fair. First semester of books, they're on UP on the UPS. What can Brown do for you? Pay for your books. 800-848-9222. Sarah is in Wisconsin. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Frank. How are you? I'm you well. talk about bad childhood memories. Let's not talk about the SATs for me. <laughs> God, that's scraping by by the skin of my teeth. You didn't do anyway, well. You didn't do well. Well, I got in. I okay. went to, to hey. Madison to, you know, there University you of Wisconsin, Madison. All that matters. But, you know, it was horrible. Anyway, anyway, it's a Christmas story comment that I have, okay? Mm-hmm. I think I'm one of the very few people that could not stand the movie when it came out. 
could not stand the movie every time I saw it. And now at Christmas season, TBS runs the thing continually. I mean, just continually. But here's my observation about it. Is it me or do you think, and I always thought this, that Bill Barr looks just like what Ralphie (laughs) should look like now? And I could never stand Bill Barr, that not is, for any political reasons. Th- that is because, hilarious. That, that you're, yeah, I never thought of that before. You're exact, exactly right. Uh, that's the former attorney general for people that don't know. He lo- no, you're exactly right. He looks exactly like Ralphie. That is and it. I just couldn't stand the guy regardless of what he was speaking about because he reminded me of that. Why don't you like that picture? Because my friend Bill Cortez doesn't like that picture either. I could never understand why. How come you don't like it? Well, because I've been a cynic since I was two years old, but I, I just thought it was too much forced cuteness. You know what I mean? And I'm, you know, I'm bowling alone on this subject because everybody I know. Well, no, I got to introduce when you're in, uh, on the on the East Coast. I'm going to introduce you to my friend Bill Cortez. The two of you can get together at your Christmas story hate meetings. Uh, excellent. And maybe we can get Bill Barr to come. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Jerry is in New Jersey. Hello, Jerry. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Listen, I I think that uh, they should take the average of all the kids that did pass the test in their school as an option and give them the average of that. Okay, well, I would go along with that, right? I, I, again, give them the option, right? If they want to take the test again, let them take it. But if they want to go right. with the the El Paso average. Let them take Correct. the El Paso average. I think that's very fair, Jerry, and 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 thank you, Jerry. Uh, look, people may say that our solution, the Jerry and Frank solution, is unrealistic, and that seems to be the consensus, right? Mark didn't think it was realistic. Matt Blaze, you know, he doesn't think it's realistic. I just think of a kid who has worked so hard on this SAT in preparation in going to after-school tutoring, in taking a prep course. Maybe his parents paid for it. And he's lost sleep over this. And he's had to go through this for two hours. And he suffers from anxiety. And he gets so nervous. And to say, you know what? I think they usually give it on a Saturday, too. You know what? Your your reward for working that hard is now you have to give up another Saturday. I just... For a kid that deals with anxiety poorly... For a kid that doesn't test well, I I think there should be some other option other than making them take that test. It's not going to happen, right? As as Matt Blaze said, you know, those schools that they apply to would view this test as coming with an asterisk. If I were in charge, that's what would happen. 800-848-9222. Patrick is in New Jersey. Hello, Patrick. Yeah, the SATs were about the easiest thing in high school. I mean, everything else of being a high school student was way worse. And also, a high school student's time is like minimum wage. Right. Well, I, but I mean, it, it, that's still first of all, that's still fifteen dollars an hour in some places. But second, yeah, it's not. Bucks, it's right. not the. Um, it's not the financial aspect of it. It's it's the it's the time. Right. I, I don't think you can measure someone's time only in the hourly wage that it would include. I think it's, you know, the fact that it's a missed opportunity to do something else. 
personally. All right. Uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give you an opportunity to be tested. No, not with the SAT, but with 15 seconds, with uh, the $1,000 minute. We're going to give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do that, we will give you $1,000. All you have to do is be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. was also inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame over the weekend. Uh, Love this song, always have. It is a fine, fine song. Hopefully, uh, the luck of Duran Duran will be with today's contestant on... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Yes, thank you, Chris Libertini. Uh, Let us say hello to Dan in Farmingdale. Hello, Dan. Hey, Frank, how are you? I'm well. Thanks uh, thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for calling in. All right, Dan, you ready to go? Yes, sir. You familiar with the contest? I am. Okay. Um, What season comes immediately after summer? Fall. What city held a marathon on Sunday? New York. What continent is North Korea on? Asia. What baseball team won the World Series this weekend? Houston. What geometric shape is used for stop signs? Uh, Octagon. What state was Jeb Bush the governor of? Florida. What filmmaker directed Psycho, The Birds, and North by Northwest? Hitchcock. What state is Herschel Walker running for U.S. Senate in? North Carolina. Ah! Uh, uh, we're doing oh, so Georgia, well. Georgia, son of a gun. All right, you got seven right. You did very well. 
Um, yeah, it is Georgia. Georgia. It I is Georgia. Um, North Carolina popped in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. They're both down there. So, all right, you made it up to question eight, which is better than a lot of people have done lately. I'm going to put you on hold. Kenneth's going to give you a consolation prize, okay? All right. All right. Thanks, Kenneth. All, all right. Thank you. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything else we're, we're covering. See, I want this to be a lesson to people. That guy was going to win. Uh, that guy was going to get all 10. And he got nervous. He was rushing. Yeah, you ha- He was at a good pace. He was going to beat all these questions. You have to take a second. And just one second and think, all right, is it the first thing that pops in my head? Or is it, no, you got to, had he thought about it, he would have known it was Georgia. Uh, but he's going to get a mug or something now, or a hat. And uh, we have all sorts of cool other side of midnight merchandise. We have shirts, we have hats, we have jackets, we have mugs, all sorts of other things. And a lot of different types of shirts, T-shirts, sweatshirts. If any of that sounds good to you. You can go to our store, the online store, and uh, you can basically, you can get any of these great products uh, by going to store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. That's store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. And I believe if you use the discount code FRANK15, you will get 15% off. So it's store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. And you know what? It actually it helps us look good if a lot of people want to buy our merchandise. So why not buy it? All right, 800-848-9222. John Vito has been patiently holding in Staten Island. Hello, John Vito. Hi. You're good to talk to you, Frank. It's a pleasure. Uh, can, I, can I touch up on the subject you had before? Certainly. About making a point about politics and uh, for, for one or the other, what's going on right now. Because I just came back for the cruise, and uh, and I, I had, a, had this incident that this guy, while well, I was talking with an Australian that was part of the, you know, the people on the ship like me, and, um, you know, he was like in favor of me. All of a sudden, when I said that uh, election was uh, stolen, somebody in the back, like, we were in the smoking room, somebody in the back is like, the election was not stolen. So I felt so confronted. I said, uh, well, it had to be, I said, uh, with all, all the stuff that with the rough stuff that went on and off. You know, we start talking like uh, uh, the, the guy was kind of in between saying, well, we can uh, agree to disagree. I said, well, what did this guy do, the one we have right now, compared to, oh, Trump was or delinquent, he was the worst we ever had. You know, I couldn't take that. You know, it was, it was not, you know, it was not proper. It's like, I said, what are you talking about? What do you pay for the gas? Where are you from? He's from California. I said, you like to pay six, seven dollars a gallon? I said, we used to pay two dollars. What happened? Oh, that's not his fault. I said, why? And what about the people that come over the board and they have no, uh, they, we don't know who they are and we have to take care of them. And when somebody comes in your family, uh, all of a sudden they tell you, yeah, you got to take an extra person in your family, you got to take care of everything. I said, I have to pay for my benefits, the extra they have to pay. And all that stuff. My two cousins to get married at 20 years old because they jumped ship and to be, uh, to be uh, okay, to be in the States, they, they, they had to get married at their age. But, you know, everything turned out all right. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here in the country, 55 years anyway. So he, he, we came to this kind of a thing. He said, what do you do now, you know? And, uh, but anyway, anyway, I said, I said, okay, goodbye. All right, well, you think whatever you want. Yeah, thank you, John Vito. I, um... Uh, look, I think part of the approach that he took there is the right one, namely asking questions, right? 
um, where he asks about the price of energy and things like that. I think the one thing that I mentioned before in the guidelines for having these sort of productive conversations, if you missed the discussion earlier, please go back and listen to the podcast. But I listed some tips, and I didn't come up with these. They've been honed honed and compiled by others. Um, Some tips for having productive conversations with people who you disagree with without having it get acrimonious. One of the, the first tip I mentioned was don't lecture. Don't lecture. And it's tough for me. And I'm sure it's tough for a lot of you. But it creates just a level of acrimony, right? Rather than say, let's say you're somebody that believes the election was stolen, right? And I, I don't, right? But let's say you're someone that believes the election was stolen. Rather than say, hey, the election was stolen. And the other person says, no, it's not. And you say, yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. What good does that do anyone? It's much better to ask questions. Ask questions. For instance... Um, you can ask the question, well, do you think it was appropriate for the Pennsylvania courts to change the rules of how ballots were counted in the middle of the process without the legislature doing it? So they either say yes or no. If they say yes, then you say, well, can you understand why when the courts do that, that might lead some people to think that there was something nefarious going on, to sort of change the rules in the middle of the game. Um, If they say no, well, then why not? Why don't you, why do you, what's the point of having a legislature if the courts can just change the rules on their own? Um, And then I don't know what response they'd give to that, but that's an interesting one. And so um, then you could say, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of other, uh, do you think it's appropriate that the big tech companies stopped pertinent information about the election, namely the Hunter Biden laptop scandal, from being shared on social media. Either they're going to say yes or no. Yes. Why? I can't imagine what the answer would be. No, it's not. Well, same thing. You know, so the point is, I think asking questions, it's such a better strategy than just lecturing from my point of view. Um, by the way, want to wish a couple of happy birthdays. Happy birthday to Joni Mitchell. It's her birthday today. You want to know something? She went to a Broadway show for the very first time on Thursday. Can you believe that? First Broadway show that she ever went to. And, uh, so congratulations to her, not only on her birthday, but on the fact that she's finally been to a Broadway show. And, uh, today is also the birthday of the singer Lord. Who I happen to be a big fan of. So uh, happy birthday to Lord David Guetta celebrating his birthday today. A lot of musicians celebrating birthdays today. And uh, you know whose birthday it is as well? The newspaper reporter and writer Larry McShane, who I've interviewed before. He's got a great book about Vincent Giganti, one of the best that I've read. And my mother's longtime companion and her domestic partner, Jim Wisniewski. It is his birthday today as well. So if any of his uh, chums over at the Department of Finance run into him today, then be sure to wish him a happy birthday. So, yeah. Oh, and my cousin-in-law, Melissa. Melissa Morano, one of the infamous Long Island Moranos. Her birthday today as well. So happy birthday to everybody. 
And uh, if you're celebrating your birthday today, you know, hope you'll do something fun. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ron Kunkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. I hope you had a great weekend. Yeah, thank you. It was um, it was busy, but it was good. Yeah, same here. Same here. Um, I was uh, two things. Uh, one, I'm going to probably check out that Christmas story, the uh, the sequel. It looks interesting. I want to also, on behalf of all the uh, volunteers over at the 150 uh, Motor Parkway Hot Hog location for Lee Zeldin, we want to thank you for your fairness with his election. Um, I want to shout them all out. We've been working hard. Lee Zeldin um, all summer long, and we can't believe it's one day away. And like I said, Frank, thank you. Hey, uh, Joe, what do you, first of all, no need to thank me uh, for being fair, at least trying to be fair, but what's your impression of uh, what's going to happen in the election? I'm praying. That's my impression. Um, We've been making, uh, I thought about doing signs, and then they moved me over to phone calls, and I'm talking to people, and I'm listening to them on the phones, and so many people are just scared, scared of uh, how worse it could get. Um, I just hope he gets in. I'm not going to make predictions because, you know, Frank, it could go either way. Absolutely. And, uh, I just think that if we all, whether you are a Republican, Democrat, or Independent, just get out and vote tomorrow. That's all I ask everybody. Frank, again, uh, and also a big shout-out to uh, Marie that runs our crew over there. We've been working hard. And uh, just go Lee Zeldin, go. Hey, uh, well said, Joe. Thank you. Wishing you the best of luck. I know you've worked awfully hard on this for a while, and you were one of the early Zeldin advocates. So uh, hopefully, not only for the state's sake, but for yours, this uh, is a big victory. Thank you, Joe. You know, it's interesting. My wife had something of a victory yesterday because there are these cats, not the three that we live with, but there are these cats that hang out on our block. And every night they come around our house and walk around all the other houses. So my wife was able to trap one of them. And uh, she took it to get get fixed. Because, unfortunately, there's a huge problem with dog and cat overpopulation. And the only solution, as Bob Barker has said when I've interviewed him, is spay-neuter. And there's a reason that I quote Bob Barker, you know, with that admonition to spay and neuter your pets. So my wife caught this one cat, traps him or her, I don't remember the gender, might have even been non-binary, but she traps this cat, takes the cat to get fixed. Okay. But there's another cat, there's two cats that hang out on our block every day. The other cat wouldn't go in the trap. Too smart. He's too smart to go in the trap. So... For the last two or three weeks, my wife, and this is why I married such a smart woman, because I want my son to inherit her her brains. For the last two or three weeks, my wife has been putting out the trap every night and putting food in the trap, but having it so that the trap is not operational. And her methodology in doing this was that the cat would get used to going into the trap and eating so that eventually when there was room at the end or the, you know, clinic where these cats get fixed, she would trap them and take them in. So last night, my wife gets the word from our friend, says, hey, 
they can de- fix the cat tomorrow. So my wife said, all right, today's going to be the day. We're going to trap this cat. So we're sitting in our living room. I'm preparing for the show. Uh, my wife is going through arrangements for Carmine's birthday party. We'll talk about that tomorrow, perhaps. And it's around 8.30, maybe 9 o'clock. And she hears, boom, She hears the cat trap. She said, do you know what that is? I said, no. She says, that's a cat trap. There's a cat in there. She pokes her head out. It was the cat that she already trapped. The same one that she trapped that had she'd already taken to be fixed. So she lets that cat out. Resets the trap. Still food in there. 45 minutes or so later. Boom. The trap goes out again. She runs out there again. And looks. And finally, it is the cat that she has been trying. Like her Moby Dick. She has been trying for this whale of a cat for weeks. She caps her, She uh, traps the cat. And this morning, probably in about four hours... She's going to bring this cat over to the clinic to be fixed. So I know she's excited about it, and uh, she is very happy to be able to get this cat uh, fixed. So that's that. That's the news out of the Morano household. 800-848-9222. Probably a mistake here, but let me say hello to E. Frank in Astoria. Hello, E. Frank. Yes. Uh, how are you, uh, Frank? I'm do- doing okay. Thank you. You know, I called because I was a little bit concerned. And you might probably think that being concerned about these children that lost their SAT scores out of the UPS truck is not such a concern. Uh, but I think that these children have another another avenue. You know, I'm not a general equivalency diploma graduate. I um, I never took the SAT. Uh, I'm co-equal to your one of your uh, colleagues there at ABC, Curtis Lee, who was, was accepted at one time. Brown University got a, a PSAT score whoa, of whoa, whoa, whoa. 30. Curtis was not accepted to Brown University. Well, he said he pumped gas and he didn't have to go to college. Right, but that's the exact opposite of what you said, right? So he you just said that Curtis was accepted to Brown University, right? Yeah, I did, and I thought that's what I heard one day on one of his shows. So you think that Curtis was accepted to Brown, an Ivy League school, and he chose to go work in McDonald's and at a gas station instead? Wow. Yeah, well, you know, Frank, I, I uh, passed uh, three New York State Regents tests. I got a low score on the PSAT, If anyone which is doubts what a joke the Regents exam is in New York, to, uh, you need a, only to listen to what E. Frank just said. He passed three. With a, uh, three a Regents composite. tests. If yeah, he can pass three regions, that's a failure in then life. Anybody can pass anything. There's no excuse for failing. School. I think those my children can goodness. actually retake the test and, and, and accept the fact that they have three to regions? accept the mistakes that uh, other adults do. Right. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It makes sense, E. Frank, I must say. Um, that is one of the better solutions I've heard. I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, this is one of those instances where you've made a lot of sense. Well, you know, Frank, uh, graduating in the lower half of your high school class and being a successful college student 
people have uh, up and downs in life, and you know that's life. They gotta people have to bear some some of the brunt sometimes of others' mistakes. Indeed, they do, E. Frank. Very wise. You acquired a lot of uh, not only a lot of book learning in your travels at Brown University, but also a great deal of wisdom. So, uh, thank you, E. Frank. I wonder. Uh, I wonder if E. Frank went to the same was same graduating class as John from Brooklyn. I do wonder about that. Um, there you have it. There you have it. All of a sudden, the fact that E. Frank did not take the SAT, it has now suddenly made me a big believer in the SAT. So I'm kind of turned around on this. All right. I, e. Like e. Frank's a good sport. Okay. 800-848-9222. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame coming up in a moment. That's 800-848-9222. And uh, we'll, you know, allow you to be heard for any any subject for 15 seconds. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. My thanks to Stevie G and the Conundrums for this phenomenal, phenomenal theme song. It is available on iTunes for $1.99, much like uh, Andrew Cuomo's podcast. It is on Apple. It might, no, actually, I think it's $0.99, cents, in all seriousness. It is available on Apple, and uh, you can uh, check it out there. And uh, I'd love, you know, Stevie G was nice enough to make this song. I would love it if it became a big hit solely due to our listeners. I think that'd be a lot of fun. All right. Without further ado, it is time for you to be heard for 15 seconds. Say whatever you like within reason uh, at 800-848-9222. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Rick in Tom's River. Good morning. Two questions that should be on the SAT. Who is Edward John Smith, and who is Marcellus Berry? Frank in Manhattan. Hi. Hi, Frank. I'm the stroke victim, and maybe you can uh, work along with me for a second. I never uh, took the SAT test, and I think you were saying that there's a fee for that test. Yes, I don't remember. I don't know what it is now, but I think it's in the $35 to $50 range. I'm not sure. Fred in Yonkers. Hey, Frank. What if Ralphie was in your Back to the Future movie, shot himself before he shot his eye out? 
Would he be able to see the flurry dories? <laughs> Daniel in Nevada. Hey, I don't know if SATs and ACTs are required. I never took them in 2001 when I graduated high school. I joined the military, and they cover college quite well. Charlie in Chester. Okay, Frank, real quick. Uh, nature's creatures want to turn uh, human governments communist. Nature's creatures are mostly a uh, bad enemy of humans, and the goddess can be for humans, and the goddess mainly for nature's creatures. And- Charles and Queens. Yeah, hi again. Um, I was thinking the smart cat, before your wife takes him to get fixed, if it, if it could talk, it would probably say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> David in the Bronx. If Curtis Lee was, was accepted to Brown University, it had to be Charlie Brown University. Thank you. Tom in Maryland. <laughs> Yeah, here's a question for the SATs. If we only had 300 million Americans in 2020, how do we wind up with 154 million voters? You're supposed to be 18 and a citizen to vote. You know, they tell us that Biden got 81 million. Andy in Staten Island. Thank you. Here's the best theme song. Right, Frank? Is this the best one? And we'll play it tomorrow. Let the public judge. And finally, Tom in the Bronx. Yes, I'd like to say that the United States, China, and Russia are being governed by people with loose screws in the head. They're They're not focusing on basic needs. China's forcing people to live in their houses and not come out. All right, Tom, thank you. Well, I guess you would rather be governed by people with loose screws in their head than uh, permanent screws in the knee, right? I mean, poor Carol, who we heard from earlier, she's got those permanent screws in her knee. And honestly, I'm not trying to be flippant. Uh, Carol's got, it seems like she's had a lot of health issues, and it seems like she's been able to maintain a great attitude. And a positive mental attitude, I think, is so important while uh, you're going through these health issues. I really do think that makes a difference. All right. Uh, Back tomorrow. You know who's going to be here tomorrow? I think in studio. We'll have some election preview stuff as well. But I think I'm going to be joined in studio by Jackie Mason's daughter. Jackie Mason's daughter, Sheba, has a musical out about her father. She and her father did not have a relationship. I don't think they ever spoke more than twice. She's got a new musical out. We're going to talk to her about it. Uh, and then we got to, I'll tell you what, what, what's in store for election night. We got some really wild stuff planned for election night. Looking forward to that as well. Until tomorrow, Frank Moreno, good day.